Warning, this podcast may contain explicit language. And some goddamn fucking spoilers, too. Game of Thrones, it's finally back, it's returned, we're gonna watch it and talk about it, game. Hello and welcome to the final edition of the Life in the Kraken podcast, Westeros edition. Your dose of Game of Thrones from the Song of Ice and Fire, I guess. I don't know, sounded just as stupid when Sam said it, so why not? Uh, I'm your host, David Robertson, Editor-in-Chief of We've Always Lived in the Kraken blog, and joining me as always, we have in the Austin office, managing editor of the same blog, Josh Caiusewitz. I know what you're thinking. All of my goofs on this podcast have led up to this one moment, but in order to subvert expectations, I'm doing no goof. Yeah, fuck off. Um, also joining us, we have special contributor Sam Kankel. When you decide to watch The Greatest Stories Ever Told, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, it's important to watch a fan sub because they translate the names of the stands and the, and the special attacks incorrectly in the, in the legal translation. Never change, Sam. Never change. Back in the LA office, we have uh, joining us online editor Matt Morris. I know what you're thinking about my goofs. You're thinking my goofs all connect to form one long storyline from start to finish. And you're correct. Go back and listen to me. <laughs> this is... This is going to be a fun podcast. Uh, and finally, we have joining us uh, animation production manager, Sarah Ann Head. You see, from my goofs, you would have learned that I had a full character arc throughout this entire podcast uh, thing going on. And yet, I've started right back at the beginning, bitches. Look, my, my, my goof storyline is really more of like a McBain storyline, where like every episode of The Simpsons with a McBain <laughs> clip, it's like one connected actual McBain movie that they've slowly been filling out over time. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're here to kind of have a final discussion about Game Therapy of Thrones as a whole. Uh, I thought maybe if we give everyone some time, the bitterness might have decided. Clearly that was wrong. So, uh, but here we are. So, yeah, uh, first up, obviously, we have to have the contractually obligated, oh, no, no, we don't. No, no, we don't. That, that, <laughs> it all began dead, dead in the forever. woods. Dead North of the walls. Three men of the Night's Watch went out on a mission to uh, uh, range north and see what they could see. And then Benioff and Weiss strange fuck it to everything blue eyes and it's over. So we're going to stop talking and, and move on. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and then uh, much later, John went north with Torment. The end. Yeah. Bookends. Bookends, you know. Because in the end, I don't, there's no real message. So there's only us. There's only us. Oh, the Starks? No one else matters. Yeah, that's true. That is the message of the show. There's only us. There's only this. Forget regret or life is yours to miss. Look, you know. No who, other road, no other way. No day but today. No well, day we were but never today. on the rails in this one. <laughs> <laughs> the rails got the rails got blown up with King's Landing. Yeah, look, I I, I, I stand by the internet who suggested that Catelyn Stark wrote the final episode. Uh, you know. <laughs> Sansa's queen, Arya's doing whatever she wants, Bran's king, and John's been exiled north of the wall. 
as it should be. And everyone else is dead. And everyone else is dead, so... And the only person who's truly achieved her life goal is Brienne of Tarth, you know, you know okay, okay, then... Mm. Tyr- Tyrion ends up way too happy for that. Catelyn, I believe, died hating Tyrion. No, she knew the true... Pa- she knew the true pain for Tyrion would be to be stuck on the small council forever and ever. With Bran, because Catelyn, though she loves him, knows he's the worst, so... And ever. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna try our best to kind of have an overarching discussion of the show as a whole and uh we'll see how horribly that goes uh yeah we'll see if we can have any amount of connection to what the hell happened since you know i'm still not entirely sure and i'm not sure the writers are sure and i know the actors certainly aren't sure and oh no poor kid harris so, is so, now so, in so, rehab so i, so I i'll start because yeah. i have a theory about what happened with this there are differences between books and TV shows, and one of the things that happened here is that the writers were given a manuscript years ago saying, here's where you're going, here's what this is, and that meant that they weren't really listening to the fan base, seeing what the actors were doing, etc., and so it was pretty obvious to like everyone that like Bran's storyline didn't work. It was pretty obvious to everyone that whatever George R. R. Martin intended for Daenerys, Daenerys ended up becoming like a Me Too figure. Daenerys ended up becoming this like 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 this like the first book was written like not pre Hillary Clinton, but like like many many years ago. So some of the a lot of the the stuff that was planned, George R. R. Martin would have planned like twenty years ago, and. To me, a lot of this ending is the writers realizing, well, we have two shitty choices here. One is we try to make a new ending based on what we've actually made, in which, you know, most people like Daenerys. It would take a long time to get Daenerys to the point where fans would hate her. You know, Jon Snow, you know, Snow is a hero in this limited way. Bran is the worst, etc. You know, and they just didn't have either the courage or the contractual ability or the time or the willingness to kind of spend th- another three or four years of their life making this work. And they delivered something that kind of looked good on paper, because on paper, when they got these notes from George R. R. Martin 10 years ago, that made a lot of sense, but it kind of ignored the show that they had actually made in the intervening 10 years. That's kind of my theory about why so much of this ended up weird, is that a lot of the things that I think were broken about this season, I can trace back to things that are reflections of well did you re- like the fans and the creators disagreed in the show that they they'd ended up making because things like the chemistry of um of jamie and Brian was there in the books but wasn't nearly what it was in the show and so when you break that in the books it makes sense when you break that in the show it, it doesn't well sam coming in with a serious point to what had begun as a nonsense podcast so i guess we'll just keep on with this thread because yeah you're right sam i think uh the writers definitely howl at your mother this uh which may now forever be renamed to game of thrones this which i didn't think was possible considering uh spoiler alert and i actually don't really care because you shouldn't watch how much your mother it's terrible and the ending ruins everything. But, you know, the writers of How I Met Your Mother had a similar plan for how they are going to end the show. Uh, Ted and Robin were going to get together, and they didn't really give a shit that it made no sense. And they orchestrated everything around the show existing to uh, to make that happen, including pretending that the logical reason for why they weren't explaining the mother's existence being around was simply just because Ted was actually in love with Robin the whole time. So, you know, you know, they killed her off. They killed off the mother. It's fine. It was a terrible ending. Uh, yeah. And, you know... Game of Thrones decided to follow that path because, you know, it's their show. I mean, I will say the only sympathy I will offer is, as Sam said, 
I do know Martin required, there's some very specific plot points he apparently required them to follow. At least one of those endpoints is a Martin point. I don't know which one. The actor who plays Bran insists it's the Bran became king one, which would make sense because Lord knows they didn't want to do that. They clearly didn't want to do that. <laughs> like, it's fine if that's what they wanted, if, if that's what Martin intended. It's just, again, I mean, I've said this on like several episodes of this podcast now. It's fine if Martin is intending to do that. I'm sure he'll do it better, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I you just know, know, like, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with ending it that way if you actually write it correctly to make that reasonable and not terrible. Yeah, yeah. I just it's thought I would say that, as far as Sam was saying, of, like, why they may have felt they had to is if one of those points, which at least one of them was, there's no way they pulled all those things out of their ass on their own. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, it would make sense. Like, something I think they did potentially pull out their ass, uh, which I don't necessarily mind, is, at least according to how they described it, is Arya killing the Night King. Yeah. They flat out said it. Now, they may be lying, and that's also going to be what happened, but... It's fine. It was a cool moment. I was, yeah, I was totally moment. fine with I mean, that moment. That one worked for me, but as, as I've said in previous podcasts, the brand stuff essentially works in the books, mm-hmm. and some of this is because, you know, the story of a young wizard learning to wizard and doing magic and, like, working. Martin's a great writer. Seeing him warg, uh, you know, some of my favorite parts of the books are when Arya learns to warg when she's in, um, 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 when she's with the Faceless Men, and so some of that is that, like, the fact that Bran didn't fundamentally work on screen, but did in the books, I'm reminded of uh, the, the uh, film George Washington, where in interviews, the writer and director basically said, we rewrote the movie halfway through filming when we realized that the kid we had cast as the main character just couldn't carry this movie, and he worked really well when he was like standing in our music and our score and made him do something, <laughs> but he couldn't really do lines. So that's why we like have so much voiceover and we have so little of him talking in the, in the last half of the movie, is we realized like this isn't going to work. The way we can salvage this is that if we have him standing and you know not doing anything, then that doesn't break. And I feel like at a certain level, that's what in a perfect world they would have realized about Bran, which is Bran as a, as a fictional literary character works great. Martin's a great writer. I think the actor who plays Bran does great stuff with what he's given, but the story is not very cinematic or very television-y. And so when we're supposed to like care about him, we stopped caring about Bran three seasons ago, so exactly. he's been a plot point for a while. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, Bran specifically, he disappeared for an entire season and nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. Nobody cared. It's gotten, It got to the point where, again, Matt and I saw leaks for this final season. I watched it after the after see after season uh, episode 4. I, I read them after episode 4. And I was like these are some bullshit. And I was started laughing because I'm like, wow, this is this is so completely out of nowhere. If your leaked ending is like elicits a reaction of laughter from people, like that's I mean the, the thing is like as we've said, the showrunners hate magic. And they hate fantasy. Um, they only care about like politics and smoldering glances. And one dragon. Uh, so exactly one dragon. Yeah, one it, dragon. Maybe if they cared about things like magic and fantasy a lot more from the beginning, then Bran would have been better. But the problem is, Bran is a joke because they they never like you can you you sense that they don't give a shit about like the magic side of things the entire time. So it's like, well, if they don't give a shit, why should I give a shit? And it got to, like, you know what's the coolest Bran has ever been? Was at the end of the first episode, and it's Bran creeping on people. The best part of Bran is, like, the memes that happened this season by, like, Bran, like, like 
stalking people in his wheelchair and like people like making fake change.org petitions to like build him a ramp to get out of the courtyard. That's the, <laughs> that's the best content Bran has spawned this entire season. And you notice that that content's not being generated anymore because everyone's like, what the fuck? Because like everyone was treating him like a joke because that's what he was. And now that he's not a joke and we're supposed to take him seriously, it's like, well, okay. No. The answer is no. We're, like, we, it, <clears throat> I, I think that we can... Um... We, we can sit here and, and bitch about the ending all day, and, and we already, you know, we have in previous episodes, and... Oh, I'm not know, even the, the done with my bitching. Well, it, sure. <laughs> but but I think that, like, now now that the show is over, we also have an opportunity to look at the show as a whole and step back from... You know, Sam was talking about how the showrunners didn't understand what the fans wanted. Um, and I think that as fans, um, part of what we have to do, especially now that the show's over is step back from our own expectations that were built up over watching this week to week for eight years and say, uh, what were their intentions? What were they trying to do? What is this story now that it's finished? What is it saying? And I think it's actually saying some interesting and coherent things, um, just not what we were expecting and not necessarily what we wanted. Um, it's saying some interesting things about love. Nobody in this show ends with a positive romantic relationship. Love is the engine that uh, sets all the wars in motion and keeps them going over the course of the show. Um, it has some interesting things to say about trauma and a lot of the characters, uh, a lot of the Starks, for example, who, who's arcs don't really involve a, a, a shift or a circle as we were expecting as opposed to just kind of a straight line where they're damaged and then uh, uh, try to regain some control over their lives and don't really end up uh, uh, healing at all by the end of the show. Um, so I think like there's a lot of things the show is actually saying that again are not what we've wanted but they are there and they you can read them and just say assuming that this was intention in, intentional the whole time and not just a fuck up at the end um, what does this story actually mean to us see but the problem is that the that that some of the things that the overall plot of the show has retroactively ruined a good part of it because guess what the final end of the show ends one of the overarching themes be bitches in power be crazy and that's not something that I agree with or I like to see or that is true I just oh my god oh. sure but I, I think now is our chance to acknowledge that's what the show is saying like yeah and, it can, and when it we go back and look at that it. show is like that, sorry say that it fucking ruins it like how much effort and like energy have like I as a person put into the show a fair amount and you think I'm ever gonna watch this goddamn show again no because fuck it. Well, I also yeah. I mean, to, to go back to go back and look at the show, I spent a lot of time being defensive of like you know the show's use of sex position and the show's attitude towards a lot of the women on the show and, and showing them you know being oppressed and, and used in various ways and, and even the show seeming to use them sometimes. Uh, I, I kind of defended that under the idea that no, the arc of the show is going to be uh, you know, we're going to see kind of a gender revolution. We're going to see Daenerys on the throne. We're going to see, um, you know, the, the, the prostitutes lifted up out of their uh, poverty and their, and their oppression. Uh, and then it didn't. And so you have to go back and say, you know, wait a minute, maybe the show was not as progressive as I wanted it to be the whole time. Maybe the show is something that, you know, is, is bad for its female characters and, and has a dim view of uh, uh, society and gender and a positive view of rape, as Sam mentioned. And just like, well, we may not like that, but I think it's it's worth acknowledging that maybe that's what it is. 
to me, part of what this show is, in the plot level at least, is the first season, even the first season and a half, feels like the setup to a more traditional fantasy narrative. Mm-hmm. And then it feels like someone turned it into Stellaris or Crusader Kings or some type of like literally PC strategy game and just like set it on fast forward and walked away and saw what happened. And so much of what's so fascinating about the middle seasons of this show is that, okay, well, what happens if people don't have plot armor? What happens if the, if, you know, the deus ex machina doesn't save the main character when it needs to, and the main character, you know, Ned Stark, gets, fuck, um, gets his head fucking cut off? And the other interpretation I have for how this show ends is that George R. R. Martin didn't really intend to make this bizarre simulationist deconstruction of fantasy he started with a fantasy novel. He's a great character writer. He knows his characters. He keeps asking what what would the characters do? And so the show and so the world and the story kept expanding. And by the time he did this, he kind of thought he could like corral those cats back into an ending. And he had the ending he was corralling them towards, which he gave to Benioff and Weiss. And they're like, well, well, fuck, how do we handle the fact that, like, there's all these plot threads that, like, have moved these characters away or, or changed this or, you know, the character, like, Bran has become a character that, that makes a lot less sense to be the king than he did when George R. R. Martin gave us these notes, you know, five years ago. And that is the other thing to me on this show is that outside of the thematics, I want us to, I kind of live in the plot side of this because the plot has all the har- has all the hallmarks of multiple auteurs and and both Benioff and Weiss and Martin at different points in their creative careers doing different things and so I, I think that we can certainly any work we can do death of the author and we can read well here's what your work said even if you didn't intend it but I was asked well like the writing style in book one and the writing style in season one and the writing style in season four and the writing style in season seven book one and season seven have a, have a similar style in a lot of ways they're much more traditional fantasy with some extra grit and it's only kind of the middle part where things go off the rails and become this weird simulation and then Benioff and Weiss have this really difficult task of like guiding all this shit back into a conclusion. Well, and yeah, and to be fair to Benioff and Weiss and one other version, which is they never actually, I know, I saw Sarian's rage when I said that, but uh, they never also intended to, when this was all agreed upon, Martin felt this too, no one actually thought they were going to have to go off on their own and make their own thing. So maybe they knew ahead of time this would have been a problem. Like, I, I, they, they, they've said it many times, Martin said it, that they never intended to have to, like, you know, they would have made some of their own changes, because that's what you do, but they never intended to have to, like, wholesale just create something, and that shows. Like, you can tell when they eventually got to the point where... In, they probably realized they were like, George, so that book, how's it going? And he was just like, uh, yeah, it's not happening. And so, you know, that's why George R. R. Martin also was kind of like, maybe you guys should go for like 10 seasons because clearly he was trying to help them like pad things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they just weren't equipped to do it. Um, I mean, the big question, I mean, my only issue with some of the stuff is like, you know, we're bringing up how like we think what the plot shows, except we're stuck with two things, which is when you listen to what Benioff and Weiss say, they don't see like it may be true that the what they wrote is basically this kind of bad thing about women and women in power. But if you listen to them talk, they don't seem to think they wrote that. And well, then they done fucked up. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I almost would if they even said like this is what we were like if they had tried to go out of the way to say something like we wanted to do let's say they did like this i'm not even going to do the horrible version let's say they came out and said like we wanted to talk about like women in power and how this could like corrupt them in the same way it corrupts men mm-hmm. 
if let's say they said that, uh, you know, they didn't, but they didn't say that. They basically, I mean, to be fair, after the final episode, they basically said nothing, mm-hmm. uh, which I sort of understand because they're kind of like, look, this is what's happened. We can't change anything now. I can see why they feel there's nothing to gain from it. But my big issue this, is just that is, it doesn't I mean, seem like they actually know. They've never seen, like, when you listen to those after after the episode talking points, what they describe half the time doesn't seem to fit what they actually wrote. And that's my only actual concern. If they actually came out and said a bunch of these things, at least they go, well, I don't agree with this, but that's where they went. So I don't even know if they know what they did. That's the I mean, problem. I'm reminded really quickly of the Jamie Cersei scene several seasons ago where the scene they edited was a scene where Jamie sexually assaults Cersei. Yep. And the scene that the actors thought they were doing and the scene that Benioff and Weiss thought they had released... And the scene was that was like, in the book? <laughs> what, the scene in the book is not sexual assault. The scene in the book yeah. is like, this is consensual. She's like, it's gross to do it here. Why don't we go back to our room and screw? That's the scene in the book. The whole no is no, not here. We shouldn't do it in the sept. Right. Is everything in the in, in the book. And like, yeah, so there's that moment of like, are you sure of the content? Like, like do you understand the text you created here? Um, this, this, this is why I think we... we it's better to stick to kind of a death of the author look at the text because otherwise you're left doing like detective work and being like, what do you, what do you know? What are you allowed to say on HBO? When did Martin tell you these things? When did you start planning this? When did you decide it was going to be seven, three episodes? Like we either have to sit here and like, you know, uh, 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 and like search through the fucking clues and go like full red detective on this. Uh, or we can just look at the show that we watched and how it made us feel and why it made, a fe- made us feel that way. Sure, we can do that, but I think that's discounting. Like, to say that, you're like, this is the show. I think my point is the way you were saying it was, look, this is the show that happened and this is what, you know, what you know from what we got. I think we still have to acknowledge, like, that's still a problem. Even if there is a death of the author type thing, I think knowing that the author, there's still a difference of knowing that the authors seem to not understand the stuff they do still should somewhat play into how you, into to knowing like, okay, how critically should we analyze this? What should that mean? What do we ultimately hold them credit for? We can still do the same stuff, but to just completely ignore that is silly. I think they just thought that, I think Benioff and Weiss just thought they were making like a cool, gritty fantasy show. and, they and horses. And they like didn't honestly think about any of the deeper implications of what they were I mean, I think they thought about some of them. I also think it's important. It's important to to think about the world. Like you know, this like the first season of this show aired in two thousand and eight, right? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eleven. It was it was okay. post college. Yeah. It was post college. So two thousand eleven. Okay. Uh, from that reference, you know um, um, when most of, when most of, when most of us went to college. Um, so two thousand eleven, um, which is eight years ago, and that was. I, I'm just thinking, you know, a pre Me Too, pre Hillary Clinton losing to Donald Trump, pre um, Elizabeth Warren, a lot, especially in terms of the women in power politics and the sexual assault stuff. Um, the books are very much about sexual assault, but the books, are like George R. R. Martin, had this quote once where he, where he was asked about sexual assault in his books. His response was, "All of the historical data I've seen indicates that in both pre-modern and modern times." Sexual assault is more common than murder, and given the prevalence of murder in fiction, I thought it was appropriate that sexual assault be represented as commonly as it therefore should be, given the amount of murder in my fiction. Like, 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 like there's some interview where he basically does this, which is an interesting author statement. But I'm just, but especially the, like the women in power stuff and the Me Too stuff, like. Danny, especially Danny, meant something else to the fan base and meant something else in the world given when the show was coming out and what that meant. 
then I think Benioff and Weiss really understood. Um, but but I don't like by that logic at all because I, I think that uh, while while there is a cultural context here removed from that cultural context, sexual assault is still sexual assault, rape is still rape. Uh, we still have uh, uh, you know Daenerys as a character who begins by being sold uh, uh, as as a wife. Um, we you know we have Sansa's experience midway through the show. Uh, where she is raped, um, and we have her statement near the end of the show where she says that, you know, made me the strong woman I am today. And like, that was some I, fucking bullshit, because you know so, what? You know what I think a lot... Of, I think you know what we're leading into, though, here, with what the cultural statement is, is because the reason that you're getting so much of this backlash is because women in general, and we're much more aware of this stuff, and we are not fucking putting up with it anymore. Like, I, I have... I have defended the sex position. I have defended the, like, the treatment of women in the show. I have not spoken about the treatment of uh, uh, characters of color, how they essentially knocked out all of Adrian, uh, Arian Martell, how they fucked over Dorn, how they fucked over the Sand Snakes, how they fucked over a lot of stuff. All the queer characters, for that matter. All the queer characters. And you know what? I'm just not giving, and, and me and a lot of other people are just not giving people a pass for it anymore. And that's why I think people are, rea- I think that's why people are reacting. I think people are reacting back because they've never had to have that accountability before. And I get, I think it's just a sick and tired of your bullshit. Sure. And what I, what I want to say to clarify is that I'm not saying this was a great progressive show and then they fucked it up at the end. I'm no. saying we have to step away from that and say, this show has always been what they intended it to be. Under that formulation, this show is not the great show we want it to be. Well, mm-hmm. well that's why I'm saying you can't. For- I was just saying then, then that's kind of my point back too of saying you're saying intention here means something. If you want to say this is the show we've gotten and the show we have is what In- intention is. is derived from the text. Well, was it, for, to me, the, the one thing about the text in this context about intention and rape is one of the important things to me about Danny is in the books, Danny is not sexually assaulted by Cal Drogo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like a crucial important change is that Cal Drogo learns her language to ask her for consent and, and on her wedding night she realizes that the only words he knows how to say is to ask her for consent and is like waiting for her to say yes or no and she um, and like that is part of that arc about why Cal Drogo is her son in stars and like the, the change of that scene in the show is one of the ones which I've defended in previous years ago podcast of like, well, George, they, in the process of doing this, they cut out lots of other, you know, implications of sexual power and of sexual power inequalities. And maybe they're making a statement that even if Cal Drogo, the, you know, the, the horse lord asks her consent she like their power differential meant that she wasn't in a place to meaningfully give it. And I still stand by that in some abstract philosophical stance because I think it's a useful thing to, to think about. But practically, in the text, that is a change from the books. That is a scene in the books that's interesting and works well, and that is like becomes a really big part of Danny's character given what Cal Drogo meant to her and how no one until Jon Snow ever means to her again. But she also says in the show, I was raped. She says that when talking about herself. So it's not a, it's not a sequence where they did that and then didn't you know we we read it differently than they did. They no, made I, an intentional change to say da- Danny Danny is uh, we starts out as a rape victim, sure, and then she's going to attain power and then that she's going to use that power to hurt people. And what they wanted was that two sided equation of we're sympathetic to this character, but also this character go, went off no, the deep end. I, I, I agree with you with your interpretation. I'm just saying in terms of the death of the author, part of what we have to discuss is. 
the, the author in this case made a change from the source work and because we have the source work this is not like there are other things that happen that are shittier in the books you know the mountain is significantly sanitized from the books mind you mm -hmm. the mountain is a significantly worse thing if they like you know, of the things the mountain does in the books many are like we can't film this so we're just not gonna um and it's important in, in the author stuff we talk about you know this because one thing that we do have is we do have these two texts and there are intentional changes between them and especially because this text became began as an adaptation and has become for many people the source text of this work all those changes do matter and i do think it's it's important to keep the intentionality of the author in mind and then i think and then just from a practical level, I do think that it just becomes a sign of, man, we really should have seen this coming earlier. We really should have, we really should have been more, we should have not have assumed better intentions yeah. from the authors. We gave them benefit of the doubt when they did not deserve it. I mean, I'm going to yeah, say that's how, I said this. It, I mean, that's how it works. I mean, I'll say this though. I, that's how it works though in viewing most work of television. Right. Because if you don't do that, like, assuming you like something, I'm always the attention that you should at least let people finish with, if I like something, if I don't like it, then clearly that doesn't mean anything. But if I like something, you let them finish, because if you don't, then there there have been shows that have, like, had things happen at some point, and then they go to the end, and they use that as a circle thing to go around, so... I, I don't know if I want... This is kind of one of those ones where I don't know if I want to say, like, we should learn from this. Like, we shouldn't trust people and stuff here. Well, it's fair. Retrospectively, you're right. Maybe we yeah, shouldn't it have. Is, well, it it hurts. It sucks. Yeah. But I still would do it again. Well, yeah, because you don't... Normal people don't go into entertainment things, ex like, yeah. wanting to not like them. Like, right. you, you go into things <laughs> saying... I want to like this thing. Let's but watch it and see if it actually is. But and but it should have. But it should have been. What I'm saying is that it should have been a. It should have been a warning sign when people were saying, "Hey, this is not great. This is what are we saying about the death of the author?" And um, we were all like, "Nah, it's fine. I'm sure they'll get it together. I'm sure that they'll." Well, yeah. They until very very late, the possibility was always there for this show to have not been cynical and miserable. It was, it was going to go, like, one of two ways. Either it was going to be cynical and miserable, or it was going to, like, flip the script and not be that way. It ended up being cynical and miserable, and that's what I think is super lame about it, but... Because uh, it's the easy way out. Yeah, but it was always, like, watching it, it's like we wanted to assume that it wouldn't take that path, because if it took that path, which it did, it just means that Benioff and Weiss were basically like, we like cynical, miserable things, everyone is bad, and <laughs> we're telling a story about how everyone is bad and everything's shit. Um, and which it's is, why I didn't watch that, and that's and that and the reason is why I haven't watched The Walking Dead in so many years. Right, so, like, you know... <laughs> We all hoped that it wouldn't be cynical and miserable. It just ended up that, uh, actually, I guess it was. Well, I, th I think Game of Thrones, uh, if you think back to the time when it premiered, like, we, we were in this prestige television revolution. Um, we had seen shows like Sopranos, The Wire, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, shows that were, uh, like Game of Thrones, were very much like the plan is in place from the beginning. The quality of what we're seeing is very high. Um, and unlike those sh and un unlike Game of Thrones, all those shows had a much stronger 
kind of thematic sense of like, we know exactly what questions we're asking and we have answers to those questions. Um, and so I think it was fair to go into Game of Thrones thinking, oh, this could be another show like that because of how meticulously it's planned, because right. of how much all the pieces seem to matter. That's the thing. Um, Game of Thrones was actually good. So like we all expected it to like stay. follow a good path because everything else about it was so good. Like I mean, the thing is like the the disregarding the writing decisions and the like the meaning of what they've done and blah 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 the show is like incredible it's really really well made oh man the costume really really well just like every every like filmmaking and craft element of this show is like peak television we hoped that like the storytelling would would live up to the caliber of how well everything was made i mean yeah like i would say even being cynical 80% of Game of Thrones is quite incredible. Even being cynical, yeah. the there's 20% many, many, many incredible episodes yeah. of this show. I am like, still so... maintaining that one of my favorite episodes was, in fact, from this season. The yeah. Long Night is amazing. But, and, like, if you've ever, if you've ever seen... Do you mean uh, 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 yeah. Night of the Seven Kingdoms? Yeah, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, sorry. Yeah, I think. Right, but... I yeah, know what you're Totally, you though. Because, yeah. like, yeah. Long Night's a good episode. It's actually a solid episode, too. It's not as good as Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, no, I'm that's thinking... Good. I got... Yeah. The, like, yeah, I well, that will teach you to cover your TVs, and that's important. Seven Kingdoms, you know, Sam was talking about the difficulty in, like, corralling all the cats back together, but, like, that's the point when they did. That's the point when all of the characters and their arcs came together in the same place to the same I mean, meeting. I, I, like, I, that's I, spectacular. I mean, I said trollingly, like, that, like, Long Night was the end of the show because Night of Seven, because Night of Seven Kingdoms had resolved every thematic arc that I thought was going to get resolved, and it did as best as we got them. And then Long Night resolved the only kind of plot arc about, you know, it turns out that Carbon Recapture, I mean, Arya is the answer to global warming, I mean, the Night King. Um, and <laughs> Arya is the Green New Deal, okay? She's the Green New Deal. Sure, great. Like, 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 like that. If that, like, that to me worked. Like, there was, there was some dangling plot threads, but the idea of, well, the show is, if we're gonna do a traditional fantasy, this show is about what it takes for people to come together, and you know, we have progressively less and less flawed people taking power. Even Stannis, for his flaws, realizes, uh. The, you know the Night King is a big deal, and the, and the Wall matters, and you know you know exits the War of the Five Kings. That moment in you know this in last season when Daenerys says it's more important to save the world than to be queen of the zombies, like that itself is a functioning fucking work. And then having you know like like the old the old, the old anime saying I have is that you know an anime is about to end when every likable character has has ended up in the same side, and then it's one big battle and it's over. Okay, every likable character ended up in the same castle. It was one big battle. It could have just been fucking over, and that would have been like I agree with everyone else here. This as angry as we are at some of the kind of epilogue decisions, I still enjoyed this show a lot because I think of everything after Long Night as essentially epilogue, and. I also think that this was, you know, historically in the cultural context this came out in, when this show came out, everyone thought that Lord of the Rings was an aberration and fantasy for adults was, like, not a thing. And, you know, the rebirth of Dungeons & Dragons and popular culture happened while this was airing. A number of other good fantasy novels have been adapted, have been optioned. The idea of, I want to spend a bunch of money to tell a fantasy work and we're not going to sell it to the very niche 
like like you know dead tree fantasy um reader audience that's all because of game of thrones they're taking some of this stuff seriously again and that's really cool yeah I, you are right in that we'll kind of get near the end of this we'll get into some real big picture like legacy questions but i do think you brought up a good point of like what are the biggest legacies of the show is going to be that it hollywood needs proof of concept to mm-hmm. allow things to happen and this kind of proved they could in fact do uh fantasy at a larger scale everyone kind of agreed this may have been too large and i think you know <laughs> there's kind of a part to suggest that you know one of the things that probably doomed this show was how big the scale eventually got and how it was so many different things to different people, uh, which means... You sent that, a lead actor to rehab, motherfuckers. Like, yeah. like, I'm at the point... Speaking of the Me Too stuff, I'm at the point where I'm no longer willing to accept cruelty to the creators in, in my fiction. Um, if you, if, if what it takes to get your show made is multiple members of the creative staff are like, I'm actually in rehab now because I can't handle things for a while... That's not okay for me. And speaking of you know, you know, yeah, speaking of you know, did this get too big? Holy fuck! You sent you know you, you broke one of the actors. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I in his case, I think it also was a combination of this is what made him famous, and it's now over. For, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff there, but yes, it definitely was also like the show itself clearly had an issue, and that's I think a I, there's a really strong case to say that half the reason the show kind of seemed to just decided they have to end it is I think collectively everyone involved just decided they could. There was just a limit to how much they could do, and they tried to do as much as they could, and it led to some issues. And I wish this brought up a better, grander discussion about maybe how, like, we need to re- talk about how, like, getting content made for the industry can end up really problematic and can cause issues. It won't, but I wish it did because mm-hmm. you know that's you know we've kind of already talked about all the production issues they had this year, and I think almost all of them were pretty much universally these people were exhausted and they should have been allowed to like let the schedule breathe and it was some combination of you know you know the nature of having to get things made combined with the nature of they all just being ready to get done I think they all I think they miscalculated uh I think they all decided that they were gonna have to do it they're gonna do it in a giant burst of just let's just get it done right. and everyone thought they had the reserves to do it and they were wrong that's- because everyone overestimates how much energy they have. The, yeah, like the yeah, it's it's one of those where it's like it's legitimately tragic that this show being one of if not the only show that could theoretically get away with like not crunching its people to death because it had basically a blank check in infinite time Still. didn't like chose not to do that option and decided <laughs> to go with the crunch option like video game industry style and like burn through all of their talent what and people the fuck especially and, when they uh, like... and it's just like that makes it especially tragic because if any show could probably have found a way to like not do things this way it was probably game of thrones they had literally <laughs> infinite money but it's especially when you realize that they seemed to, to realize it from a production schedule of you know they waited the extra year mm-hmm. but they didn't seem to be willing to apply it to their actual well, production. production right and which they could like, have totally... That show makes so much money. They could have literally shot Breaking Bad style three episodes and come back later. Yeah, it's tragic enough when, like, when shows... When people end up experiencing this on shows because, like, networks are imposing crazy deadlines and not giving enough money. It's especially tragic for a show like this where, like, this didn't have to happen this way. It just did. Yeah, HBO... Lord knows HBO would love for Game of Thrones to still be around. They, they could, definitely would. They've they said could, as much. You know, they could have, you know, extended out this window of having to figure out, you know, they if, you know, Game but, of Thrones had stayed on, they could have had more time to, to develop the next Game of Thrones as opposed to now they're just kind of scrambling. Hey. I mean, they, they literally, once they reached the point where the episodes were movie lengths, they could have just been like, Game of Thrones is six movies now, see you in theaters once a year. Yeah. HBO, you know, <laughs> pretty much. Movies. Pretty fucking and HBO much. HBO would have been like, well, HBO would have been like, well, it has to premiere on HBO first, but sure. 
Right. I'm just saying, like, HBO is fine. They just need, they just need to greenlight Chernobyl 2, like, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you know, obviously, I will say from a, a quick HBO aside, like, I think they will be fine, because they always are fine. I can tell you what the next great fantasy would be, but, you know, I always, I have I have my thoughts. Uh, I mean, you know. It would also work as animation. Fantasy is a wide world. Fantasy is a wide world. They've got a lot of options. And you don't, you, and nobody has adapted a series of books for that a good amount of female uh, people might age and younger and older credit as like the seminal fantasy work that got them into fantasy right so like that's the interesting thing is like the why the more ya side like what's gonna does does game of thrones bolster that or does it bolster the like the like dude bro like tits and horses fantasy more Not, not guys. We just gotta make keep making Lord of the Rings again. If we just keep making Lord of the Rings, <laughs> that's, people will keep watching. That's what Amazon seems to think. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, you're Why right, Sarah. It this? would be interesting if you know someone went from the perspective of even if they let's let's just go let's really go from the most sexist version of industry people possible. Let's say they thought Game of Thrones was for men, which they probably did. Did some people one hundred percent? But I mean, I, I'm just I, doing I was, network yeah. executives. They almost certainly did. So let's reverse it. Let's go. Well, we thought it was this, and it ended up being for everybody. So you're right. There's no reason why they couldn't think the exact same logic and apply it over. Some company, I know a lot of them wouldn't necessarily do it because, you know, they suck. But there seems to be someone, you're right, who would think they would try to go from that perspective of let's go with a storyline that traditionally we have decided people have said is like aimed at women. And I'm doing some quotations as hard as I possibly can, acknowledging that there's a good chance if it's good, everyone will watch it. Because you know what? People watch good things. Yeah, it's just how it is. The ideal situation would be for this to be a jumping-off point to things like more YA fantasy things that you know just, more more women audiences are. I just are really want an Alana series, guys. I know, I know. <laughs> I, just, I know you I want mean, your let's, your Tamara Pierce. Let's not forget that like. Game of Thrones is progressive in some ways. I mean, this is a show that made a movie star, that made a huge star out of Peter Dinklage. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's you know, true. this this is a show that you know has some interesting things to say about masculinity between characters like Varys and Grey Worm. Um, you know, that has you know that that crowns a disabled kid king. As as bullshit as it is from a story perspective, <laughs> like there are there are good things that come out of this, and this was a show they later that tried it. to be more inclusive. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Yeah. To a certain point, they still called him Bran the Broken. <laughs> they like that's no, they call him Bran the piece of shit. Come on, didn't you listen to, listen to the last podcast? Bran, you know, Bran the terrible, Bran the disabled, Bran the piece of shit. Bran, Bran the wheelchair man. Yeah, and you know, at the same time, also, you know, they. At some level, tried it gave up eventually, but you know Michelle McLaren got to direct a lot of episodes for a while, and that helped her get more stuff. That's true. They seemed to excite that after Michelle McLaren, no other female directors could do anything, but they, I guess, tried. I mean, the writing we're not even going to talk about because there were in fact female writers on Game of Thrones. They just stopped being on there around season three. So, uh, um, yeah. So, and you know Michelle McLaren stopped directing around season four. So that's you know. A problem, but you know, even behind the camera and stuff, they 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 brought a lot of you know they brought a lot of yeah. attention to various different groups. One thing I give Brienne them Brienne is one of the best characters in fiction. Yeah, and, I love her. You know, I give them also credit for the show knows what helped get them there. I I do respect a lot that the documentary they made that aired afterwards was literally just a love letter to their crew. That's almost entirely what it was. It was just them talking about how amazing their crew was and how like they did all this awesome shit and how every single person involved was amazing. Um, you know, I wish they had loved their crew by not working to death. But, you know, I guess we just... The documentary, I guess, is what we'll just have to deal with. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely some progressive messages in the show because, as I said, I think eighty percent of this show is still quite good to great. Unfortunately, the other twenty percent is. It disrupts anywhere the curve. from anywhere from bad to unwatchable, and you know, and some of that is just seeing some of those whole episodes. But yeah, I mean, there are episodes of this show that I still remember is like you know, Hard Home has lost a lot of bite because the Night King ended up meeting meaningless. But that episode of television was like that was stunning. amazing. Uh, you know, still had that issue with the one lady being like more interesting than half the characters, and then getting cut down by children. That was very annoying. It wasn't great, but. Game of Thrones at that point, the one thing Game of Thrones had earned is the ability to murder whoever they wanted until they abused it too much. There is no plot armor. Deal with it. Well, was one thing it had for a very long time. I mean, I've always argued that is a bit overblown. People like to argue that, and there are specific characters who had no plot armor, but there are definitely other characters who definitely did. But it's fine. People had less plot armor than normal shows. That is certainly true. Well, and in general, I'm just saying, like, they had earned the right to kill people. It was only after you looked at, like, an overarching evidence of them doing certain things, like, you know, the Masande death in itself is not a problem. In aggregate, with everything else that has happened, it becomes a problem. And that's where, Kai, you are correct. When you look at the show as a whole and what it did, you can Mm -hmm. see things that maybe you should have seen before and not been surprised by. I mean, not every death fit into that mold, but I do think that a large part of what made Game of Thrones entertaining for many years was not just that everybody could die and therefore there was always tension, but that Game of Thrones was willing to follow through on narrative consequences for its characters. Yes. When when Stannis made the wrong choice, he died for it. He didn't just lose, he didn't just become unhappy and get sent north, he died. And that happened to many characters. That happened to Rob. That happened to Ned Stark. Like... The show used its desk purposefully in narrative to, to bring things home thematically and plot-wise to its characters. I think that's a really great thing that it did writing-wise, and I hope that other shows take a, a page from that. Yeah, I mean, even some of the deaths from this season, you know, depending on how you look at it, I mean, Jorah may have died the death he wanted, but it was a consequence of his intense devotion to Daenerys got him killed, you know. Yep. Uh, Ed's devotion to his friends and deciding that Sam was worth keeping alive got him get him killed, you know. <laughs> even, even, uh, Liana, Mormont, uh, you know, Jorah was like, for the love of God, please don't do this. You will die. And she's like, I'm going to do this. And then, well, mm-hmm. she died. Even Daenerys' stuff, she said, like, you know, it may have been bullshit, but her death was based off of consequences for her action. You know, about the only person who really didn't face, you know, who didn't die for consequences is, you know, other than obviously you can make the thing with John was, you know, basically like Grey Worm, mm-hmm. who in general just became some weird alt narrative hole that... <laughs> Gray- Made no sense. Gray Worm. Gray Worm only makes sense to me in the context that there are cut characters from the books that, like, there are three or four of them, and one of them it leaves to the end, and they are like they have to have someone there to represent, you know, the armies from Easteros in Westeros. And it has to be a named character so we know who the fuck they are because, you know, the new Dothraki guys um, uh, um, after in Season 7 were uh, really memorable and had names. And I could tell you who they were if a gun was to my head. But that being said, like, the Grey Worm definitely to me, especially the last half of the season, felt like Grey Worm the character is one thing. There is Grey Worm the plot point of... He is the commander of the Queen's Easteros armies, He uh, um, and he will be loyal to her after death, and he is willing to forgive her for whatever she does because he believes th- that the world is one of brutal violence. That is the only context in which Grey Worm's season makes sense to me. Look, and it caused him to go so crazy that he decided to go commit suicide by going to Noth and getting killed by butterflies. So, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, look, look. I'm just thinking of the what was the, is the basilisk poison uh, um, for, for Danny problem. So the 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 poison butterflies of Noth is similar to a Reddit theory about uh, what Varus was doing before he was executed. How he was how how he had given a child instructions to poison Danny with I believe it was basilisk poison that in the novels um, are known to cause madness, and that Danny's swift descent into madness was caused by being poisoned by Varus because Varus's spider kept um, um, fulfilling this task after Varus had been killed. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely saw that. The idea was to try to explain her rapid her rapid descent. They used they they went with the poison theory, which was already people are like, okay, Varus was trying to poison her, and they were like, well, actually, he did. And the idea being, he was convinced Danny was going to get to this point anyhow, so he just nudged her. He just sped it up. Do you, know, do you know what theories become after the show is over? Head cannons. Yeah. Yep. Have fun with that. Well, think Wait, of, yeah. think just, of, just think like of my... the um, you know, Bran won the Game of Thrones by uh, you know, maybe Danny went crazy because Bran mind controlled her into doing so. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the oh he, he uh, warned the, into the her warging, when, she, yeah, when, when she was on the dragon. That's why we won't see her face all the time. I mean, uh, yeah, I these still... are the theories that the end of the show should put a fucking end to. <laughs> I mean, look, Bran won the Game of Thrones because he just stayed silent while everyone was like, "Yeah, that Jon Snow guy, he sucks for doing." We wanted him to do and then just waited for Tyrion to inexplicably not support John, waited for Sam to inexplicably not support John after spending the entire show being on his side, and then uh, exiled him to the north. Biding your time is the ultimate strategy. Do, do you guys feel that the show as a whole reflects the kind of season one mission statement of you win or you die? Like, do you feel like the, the you know, the people who didn't die by the end actually won? Um, do you feel like that, that idea of, like, ruthless strategy is required, like, played off and, and, and paid out over the whole course of the story? I will say that, I don't know if I agree that it totally happened. I will say that it didn't not happen. And I'll say this only because, you know, Sansa definitely got what she wanted. That was literally what she wanted from the beginning. We're going to remove Bran from this because Bran's not a character. He's just a plot device. So in anything, Bran can ruin, just like he did in the show, ruin anything. So we're just going to remove him from here. <laughs> but, you know, Arya got to leave. John, it was very clear the version of the shows. John just kind of wanted to, like, be left alone. I don't know if I could consider Arya's ending a win for her. Well, this is why I said I, I don't think it's, like, the purest form of yes-no. What I'm saying is it's somewhere in between because it is a version of something Arya had expressed she wanted at some point. And I was using that John also had basically, John had also basically expressed at some level, this is what, like what I wanted was to kind of be left alone, uh, to go, to be, to like be allowed. And I think he also then realized like not only be left alone, but really to be with the, like the, the wildlings is what he wanted. Cause the wildlings were the only people who ever treated John as just John. You're Ned Stark's bastard. Yeah. He wasn't Ned Stark's bastard. He wasn't Aegon Targaryen. He wasn't like the Lord commander of the Night Watch. He was nothing. He was just John. Everything they liked about him was based entirely on interactions they had in the moment. And then going on from the Stark kids who kind of got what they wanted, you know, Tyrion one level at least got respect and treated like in a way that he wanted and was like pa power in the way and was allowed to do things in a way he kind of wanted. Bronn obviously was the most I guess immense version of this because he literally got what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Brienne got to be you know what she wanted which was you know a knight for the king. Podrick also got to be a knight for the king which is basically what he wanted. He was a squire that's why you're a squire. 
you know, Davos got to, like, be ahead of ships. Gendry got to be Lord of Storm's Edge. So there's a version of this in which it kind of fits. Obviously, you know, Grey Worm doesn't really get anything, but he was related to Daenerys. And, well, as we said, you know, not only do bitches be crazy, but I guess people associated with them also be crazy. As I said, it, it starts to stretch it. I don't think it fully... It doesn't fully hit the season one mission statement, but I would say that of all the things they did, it hits it more than it doesn't hit it. I would just say that if we think that the season one mission statement is about the Starks, and we view that this is just kind of a Stark story, and everyone not a Stark is fucked, then the show is, like, some of the other kind of what's wrong with this story is that I feel like the the opening that, you know, that George R. R. Martin was planning, the original master plan, is the tale of the Starks, and they keep saying, well, Ned Stark, no, and Rob Stark, no, and hey, but the other Starks, they learn from that, you know, every non, every surviving Stark has narrative importance, has the closest thing to an arc anyone else gets, and is really valuable, and most of the breaks really end up in with, like, involving non-Stark arcs, such as, you know, Jamie Brienne or, you know, Tyrion's arc makes not that much sense to me towards the end. And then I can't tell if he's, if he's secretly ruling the kingdom rather than Bran as, as punishment or reward or what. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've been able to kind of do a more roundabout way of talking about stuff, but uh, let's try to talk, I guess, more about a couple of more specific-based things. So when looking at the overarching version of the show, as Caillou was already brought up by looking at the season one kind of mission statement, um, as you look back, you know, as you said, there were definitely some still a lot of good in the show. So everyone just kind of let's say what your, like, favorite part of the show still was. If you want, you can also say your least favorite part. I'm going to be honest, I feel like everyone knows at this point, because we've been bitching about the end of the show for a while. But I guess if you have something new you want to say that hasn't been talked about, you certainly can bring it up. But maybe for the most part, let's just focus more on, like, the positives. If only because I think we've definitely said almost all the negatives we could, give or take some rants that are probably still going to happen. Maybe least favorite part of the show that isn't in the last, like, season or two? Like, bring back some classic pitches? Sure. Yeah. If you want to bring back some classic pitches, the things that weren't, like, yeah. If you want to bring up something that wasn't paid off, go ahead. Uh, but let's... I'm just saying, like, maybe we don't need to focus so much on that one just because I think we have definitely talked more than enough about the flaws of the show. Oh, yeah, no, I have a classic bitch. Oh. But if you have a classic bitch you want to bring up, <laughs> go right ahead. So, Sarian, since you have one, why don't you start? Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to go with the, okay, cool, we're going to rape Sansa, and yet we're going to focus on Theon's reaction to it. Yeah, that wasn't great. The only real, and it's positive isn't the word, but like something came out of that was, it definitely seemed like that was the moment that truly broke everybody watching the show. And the showrunners kind of were effectively like, all right, well, we'll, like, we'll stop with the, the rape. <laughs> yeah, I think that was, that was, that was probably the, like anything before that was bad, but you were like, whatever. That was, I think the biggest, like. Everyone was already at their breaking point. Yeah. Everyone was kind of already like, we've kind of let, except it's not the word once again but like they had it's happened they, but they were ready they were just like but nothing else and then not only was there something else but it was one of the most brutal ones in the entire show right and that was that was a bad moment yeah that wasn't great um it definitely didn't help that they then since we're doing this like you said used that moment to establish that sansa basically was like i drew strength from that in the end mm -hmm. so yeah that's uh, not great <laughs> 
but as far as positive moments, I think some of my favorites, I miss the Tyrells. The Tyrells were great. Um, both Marjorie and Elena, Lady Olena. I miss all of them. And even though... And Iron well, Fist, right? What? Iron Fist is great too, right? Yeah, that guy. He showed all the skills that made you realize how mediocre an Iron Fist he would be. Mm-hmm. He was great for a while, but then he kind of went to pieces. I mean, he was great when Rinley was around. Once Rinley died, his purpose in the show was kind of gone. Yeah, no, Loras, whatever. But like, but that, but Marjorie and Olena were great, and even, and I'd say one of the one of the coolest spectacles of the later seasons was the destruction of the Sept of Baylor. It kind of broke everything because you were like, all right, is there still religion in this world? Like, it had some weird world questions afterwards like they destroyed religion and what did anything pop up in after that who knows but it was a cool spec it was a cool moment that wiped out a Play good amount of the board <laughs> and that wiped out tommen uh, of his own volition and i think that was that was a that was a not fun moment but i think that was one of the better moments in the series I mean, the Winds of Winter, the episode that that was, I think is the best episode of the entire show. So yeah, I would agree that's a positive moment. I think it was everything that show does well was done in that episode. The politics, the spectacle, the crazy what the hell just happened type moments, the kind of subversion of different expectations from Mm -hmm. what you thought was going on, the ultimate like, you know, Cersei may ultimately, you know, run out of energy and not have the ability to finish at the end, but like until she gets there, she can do so much damage and that was just like the you know the the version that showed like the difference between her and Tywin is Tywin would have stopped before that point nope and Cersei was like full speed ahead full speed ahead and I think I think that was a great and even though again we Daenerys's character assassination aside I think that the time when she's in Marine I think it was Marine or who whoever it was the the first Dracarys Oh, with the House of Black and White. No, no, not that, not that House of Black and White. I'm sorry, the second one. It's where she sold the guy, sold Drogon to the slave. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's in Marine. That's how she won. That was the one where they were pretending like there was going to be a giant. There was like no, no, two. No, no, that's that's not in Marine. That's that... that's a different city between Marine and Enkarth. Uh, that, that she shows up to buy the Unsullied. Sully, she, right? Where she buys? Oh, the Oh, when she buys the Unsullied. I see yeah. what you mean. Yeah, but it was she was she spent quite a bit of time in oh, around that as well. I think right. that's where it gets because you know remember Daenerys was playing Civilization for she was a for number a really of seasons. Long time. That that part was great because also it was a great subversion of there was another battle in that episode and they were like, but will there also be this Daenerys battle? And, you're, and as an audience member, you're like, this is stupid. She should just win. And they're like, no, she should. And then she just burned them all. Yeah. No, that was that was that was another great spectacle moment on on par with. Actually, actually, I'm while thinking about this. The first I have a lot. There are a lot of good things. Like I've again, we've been talking about the show for a year, for almost a decade now, and there were a lot of good moments. The first, the, I think, the first like really big spectacle moment of Viserys and the Crown of Gold. That was one of the first truly like oh shit, like <laughs> the, like. I mean, oh shit, even a way of like, obviously Bran getting pushed out a window in the first episode, yeah. but at the same time, that's like first episode stuff. That happened and you were just like, I remember like watching this and just being like, oh, like we're just all like, oh shit, Jesus. Like, whereas Bran getting pushed out the window, you're like, well, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Incest man you could do. He was, uh, he was ahead of his Kingslaying game. He was. His Kingslaying game was so advanced. He, uh, he was years ahead of the And curve. then following up on that. Just everything, everything of the Jamie and Brienne relationship. Except from, for a tiny sliver. Except for one, 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 one
But everything up to a certain point, leading from from their first meeting to the baths at Harrenhal, which is a fantastic scene. And I think that's the first scene that you really start to... That's the first time that we in the show start to feel that Jamie's sympathy. Because up until that point, he is a major asshole. I mean, he also had... He does say a similar somewhat version to it um, at some point when he was first captured. Mm-hmm, right. Not the full version. Yeah. But he does kind of start the, the, the groundwork. The yeah, the, the groundwork of it when he's being held captive by Cat. That's mm-hmm. kind of why when they make that agreement, it makes sense. So, like, there's a foundation there. But, yes, you're right. That was, like, the true, like, shift begins in that bath scene. And, yeah, no. So, every... So, like, that's... All of that is amazing. All right. Cool. Um, I've contributed enough. Sam, would you like to talk about what I assume is your Aria-only plot points? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. My, so my favorite moment is the one where Arya and Brienne spar because not only is is that the a, an ending to kind of two previous plot arcs of this is the end of Brienne's uh, arc of you know I have to protect you know you know Catelyn Stark's daughters. There is the plot arc of Arya of Brienne trying to protect Arya and failing. And, this, and there also is, like, that is the moment where everyone in Westeros gets to see that, no, no, Arya is a straight badass now and reasons. And it also, you have you have in that, you have Sansa seeing Arya for the first time, not as, not as just her little sister, but also as someone interesting. And it's actually in the same courtyard where if we go back, deep cuts, to when Arya taught herself to shoot a bow and arrow with, with Ned Stark watching, it's the same fucking place. And so it's, it's a really cool you know moment for me that just kind of uh, works at a bunch of layers I also think that you know if you look at the fight choreography it improves the show goes on especially season one and two the sword fights were not always great and this is the point in the show where the sword fights are consistently really good um my least yeah, favorite I mean, is the fights are good. I don't know if I'd say the sword fights ever come up to because I don't think the show ever wanted their sword fights to be past a certain point. Of yeah, uh, I w- my least favorite moment is Samuel Tarly in the Horn of Winter. It's just a massive fucking plot thread. Just fucking drop it. Like, why mm. do we have Samuel Harley finding the Horn of Winter? What the fuck does he do with it? Where does it go? Why is it ever used? Just what, like what's, what's the Horn? Yeah, of I had forgotten about this till someone had mentioned this on the inter- on the internet. I think he found that in what season two. Yeah, what, what magic. Magic doesn't count. Magic doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, it's, it's it's I think like 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 I forget what it even does anymore. Is that the one that like ends the winter or makes winter happen forever or something? It's 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 one of those like world changing artifacts. These like fucking finds. Where does he find it? I don't remember this. Explain I, it to me. I, I think he finds it in one when he was traveling beyond the wall. You know, he has he finds some various things. Is it around the same time? It's the same time he finds the obsidian, right? I think it is, and he finds the horn of winter, and they bring up how the horn of winter has all this stuff to it, and then like literally, it's I I literally only remember this because someone brought up I saw a thing of plot dangling plot threads, and that was one of them. I went, oh right, that did exist because I had completely forgotten about it. So he don't. finds it in season two. Yeah, in season two. Yeah. Look, the explanation for that was. All the spirals. Did you not understand what the spirals meant? The spirals meant the horn. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else, Sam? Sam, yeah. you're, you're about to no, do no, some classic bitches. Oh, no. That, that's all I need. Like, like, mm, like, like I don't have... Yeah. But yeah. So for what it's worth, 
the I find I looked at the theory. The horn of Win the Samuel Harley finds a horn. The horn of winter is the legendary horn that one can that tor um that you can use to wake giants beneath the earth. So the fan theory up until the long night was that Samuel Harley would pull this fucking horn out with some books he found in the Citadel. Another massive dangling plot thread of what other books did he, did he steal that says, oh, I know I know know how to react with the horn and I can raise an army of giants from beneath the earth to fight the White Walker. That was that like that was something that, that we almost had and didn't. Um, he stole useless books from the Citadel because the Citadel was useless. Yeah. I mean, and he found a useless mm -hmm. horn. That's that's what. Yeah, yeah. because like I said, yeah, doesn't he just find like a horn of like a, a band of rangers who died there or something? He finds I mean, a horn that seems to have some sort of significance. They do it's like, a horn all in the, the books that you cannot that, that you can't blow through to make any sound, so we think it's magical, legendary. But maybe we're just fan wanking ourselves. But in the show, point. I think it's just a horn. No, no, like, literally the, just a horn. When he finds the horn, they do it in a way in which it seems like the horn is more important. Like yeah. they mm -hmm. shoot it in that way all this stuff shows up and then it just never comes back up but yes yeah, so in terms of my bitches it's just it's just kind of uh the other bitches i have are kind of book issues young griff um um a lot of the young a lot of, a lot of the young griff stuff just fucking breaks not being in the, in the piece in, in the season lady stoneheart like there are the, the parts of this that are the fma versus fmab of like or the entirety of um, of Dorn of like no no seriously I think Martin did this for a reason and you've broken it and now there are plot functions that you're having to like ass pull some other character to fulfill is all of my bitches are just like just are just dangling plot threads because if we're gonna go to the effort of of seeing a magic horn of seeing a horn that takes precious time do something with it it's you know just basic drama Chekhov's gun 101 stuff of you can't have too many un unfired Chekhov's guns that's fair the show was made of Chekhov's guns and never mm -hmm. fired Matt what about you um <clears throat> I think if we're going to talk about the stuff that the sh like some of the best stuff the show ever had stuff that I consider among my favorite parts of the entire show we have to talk about Peter Dinklage um Yes. Because, I mean, you know, thinking specifically about things like the trial of Tyrion Lannister and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Peter Dinklage delivered, like, some of the best performances I've seen on TV basically ever. Um, and uh, it, it was, you know, yes, t towards the end, you know, last couple seasons after, after shit starts getting a little weird, he has less to do and less opportunity to have moments like that. But for a good chunk of the show, when, like, all of the Lannisters were alive, including Tywin, and they were all, like, kind of still fucking around King's Landing and politicking, uh, Tyrion was, like, one of the best and most interesting people on the show consistently, in part because Peter Dinklage is just so fucking good at acting. Um, so if I have to rank, like, all of the things of the show that I love, he has to be near the top. Um, I mean, there's lots of, like, other smaller things that I really love, like Lady Olenna Tyrell. Uh, you know, Sarah had mentioned the, the Tyrells, but it's... Particularly Lady Olena. You know, Marjorie's great and, you know, Lars is great, but Lady Olena was the shit. Like, let's be honest, she was the best Tyrell. Um, or, you know, for example, uh, one of my favorite characters who, you know, sadly, because of the way the story is and how how things end up, doesn't really get to play around that much. But uh, Oberyn Martell is, like, one of the best parts of the show for me. Also because, again, 
the actor they cast to do that is awesome and was an amazing Oberyn Martell where like yes maybe he was a little less interesting in the like text I don't really know I haven't read the books but in the show he was incredible so the fact that he died and and you know he had to die obviously but the fact that he died so fast was kind of sad um because uh the you know the mountain versus the viper fight was awesome uh Oberyn's awesome so you know I gotta throw a little shout out to that too um in terms of old school bitches I don't know we've we've done to death all of the things that have like disappointed us or things that we felt they handled poorly Dorne is like an amazing example of that as in the (laughs) aggregate like Dorne is just trash in the show um, the sand snakes were wasted, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like we've gone over that enough times. I don't really need to reiterate, like, a lot of that stuff. But, um, yeah. In, in terms of just just because nobody's mentioned it yet, obviously the Peter Dinklage factor, I think, has to get brought up. Because he, he is single-handedly one of the best things about the show. Agreed. Um, and, you know, as Caillou said earlier, it basically turned him from an actor to, like, a superstar. Um, and that's, like... Not to be discounted. I mean, he's the only one who's won acting awards. Yeah, I mean, he's he's fucking phenomenal in Game of Thrones. Like, the, Tyrion had some of the best scenes and the best material in the entire show, and he acted it, you know, sublimely. So, you know, that uh, that speech he gives at the trial is just yeah, it's it's fucking. I mean, it's incredible. incredible. Like mm-hmm. the his whole speech the, at the trial, you know, that's why the I called one. out the trial specifically because I think that's a good example. Yeah. Um, we're, but, kind of, we're, we're talking about the earlier trial, right? Or the, the final that trial. That wasn't a real trial. That was, they brought Tyrion and did stuff. But yes, the one where he's, the one where the Lannisters the, and all of King's The Lane, Great Monologue. Yeah, yeah, the Great Monologue. Yeah, I just had to clarify. Yeah, that's fair. I'm just saying, I don't actually consider the last one a real trial, so. Yeah, I, I assume we all know what I'm talking about when yeah. I refer to it. Yeah. it also I'm talking about how great it was when he sold everybody on brand. <laughs> yes. Mm. But also, you know, that scene gave us one of the great uh, Game of Thrones gifts of Dinklage dancing. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so he gave us both yes, in text he demands and out of text. No, no, no. The best is, is the it's a music video. I wish I was a little bit taller. <laughs> yeah, that was great, too. But that's what I'm saying. The text... He gave both a text thing that's amazing and an out of text thing. And we got good yeah. memes out of it. It it did dual duty. Look, a sh- every modern television show can and should be measured by the memes it produces. And Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones <laughs> memes have been on point. Therefore, Game of Thrones is one of the best shows of all time. It's true. It is how we're going to have to measure things going forward. We can only measure shows in terms of their meme potential from now on. Yeah. I'm sure Caillou I, I literally only watch TV that way, by the way, now. Yeah, okay. It's great. <laughs> Join me. Join me for the memes. I mean, meme-wise, nothing will ever beat The Simpsons, but sure. I mean, The Simpsons has a lot to work with. The Game of Thrones playing has come pretty close. The Simpsons just, you know, never dies, so... No, 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 like, meme per minute, The Simpsons is, is pretty meh. The fact, like, like, if you're on the air for more time than anything, of course you'll eventually end up with all the memes. What you have to be is, is, is you're grading on a meme per minute scale. Yeah, but I can make the argument that The Simpsons pulling off being from a time before memes mattered and still being able to create memes like after far after the show was relevant is yeah quite let me impressive. put it this way my my much older um co-worker literally said today all right homer walking into bushes dot gif <laughs> yes the homer as, he bu- as he backed out of a room <laughs> yeah, the homer simpson one the, the grandpa simpson walking into the room and going right immediately back out these things are, are gems yeah gold um all right caillou since i know you certainly agree with the only way to talk about television is through memes i'm sure that's all you have to talk about with your stuff right uh no I'm actually going to talk about real things. Um, I agree with Matt in that, like, my favorite part of the show is, I think season four is, like, consistently the best that Game of Thrones had to offer from the amazing uh, episode where Joffrey dies. 
um, and like the tension <laughs> of that sustained sequence is just like peak Game of Thrones. Um, to um, Watchers on the Wall, which is one of the great battle episodes. To the trial, which is one of the great parts of the show, uh, and um, you know the Mountain versus the Viper, which is like uh, for my money probably the best fight in the show. Um, and you know, like that that whole season is just like fantastic, um, and it contains my single favorite scene in all of Game of Thrones, which I consider to be the heart of the show, um, which is the scene where um, uh, Tyrion is condemned. Uh, Jamie comes to visit him, and they talk about uh, their like idiot cousin who would like the Beatles. Uh, and, like, what that scene has to say about, uh, kind of the, the mystery of, like, man's cruelty to man, uh, is to me, like, entirely what the show is about. Uh, and I only wish the show had come up with, by the end, some response to that. Um, and it never really did. It was always kind of better at raising problems than solving them. Um, but to me, like, that's, like, the peak of the show, and it just, it just wrecks me every time. I want to talk about that scene really quick, um, just because it's one of the, my, as a disappointment that I forgot about this reminded me of, is where do horrors go? So, um, in one of the things in the books versus the show, one of the big things about Tyrion's character that breaks his character in the show and makes it better in the books is in that scene, part of the reason why Tyrion, uh, 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 um, um, why Tyrion kills Tywin is that in that scene in the books, Jamie tells Tyrion that his first wife wasn't a hooker. His first wife was a actual girl that Tywin had conv- had lied to him saying was a hooker and then sent off as a hooker because he was mad that she had married um, his son. And, his enti- and the whole thing where he's drinking himself across um, Easteros, his whole arc there is... Is 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 where do whores go? I am going to I'm going to I'm going to look for whores in Easteros because I'm looking for my like my my very likely now dead first wife and I'm finding Danny instead. And that is one of those things that's kind of the you know to me the epitome of the FMA versus FMAB moments of like a lot of the insight to his character and to you know even like the why Tyrion killed Tywin stuff makes a lot more sense in that context and there's even references in the first three seasons of the show to this reveal that they then don't do. I mean I will say that that is true but I don't I don't really feel like Tyrion needed more reasons to kill Tywin. I don't, mm-hmm. that, 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 that I think they did fine on its own but sure I agree with you that the idea of you're saying like that may be a small example of it but it shows kind of the general problem the show has with not following through with things. Well I mean it, 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 that, that, it changes the problem I have is in the next season where what like what Tyrion is doing yeah Tyrion's sadness over Tywin isn't what he's doing in that arc in the books Tyrion's sadness over oh my entire life I have been over this person that I thought was a hooker and she's not and I like betrayed her by not searching for her 10 years ago and like you know I like 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 how the fuck do I handle this like you know how do I undo this but but this is the show's whole perspective on love and romance which is uh, uh, deeply against um, <laughs> in that like Tyrion's arc in that moment in the show becomes about the fact that now that he's out of King's Landing and out of his family he no, no longer has a purpose and that's what he finds in Danny as opposed to sure. he no longer has a love sure um, but so my, my disappointments with the show that I want to bring back um, I what's interesting is that like as much as we dislike the fact that the show sped way up and, and, and did things too quickly at the end all the problems with the show like as an overall piece of entertainment are the parts where it was too slow and boring um, the stuff where we have to watch Theon getting tortured for a season the stuff where Danny's gonna sit in Marine and moat for a season the stuff where Bran's gonna sit and talk to a tree for a season like th- these are all like the parts of where the show just like grinds to a torturous crawl um, that, that have nothing to do with like the slow careful character work that it does elsewhere but was just the show like 
spinning its wheels, trying to keep all the plates going at once, even when some of the plates didn't matter and weren't doing anything interesting. That's fair. Uh, is that it? I, I think that's enough, don't you? Okay. I just, you know, I just want to give everyone a chance. I'll tell you what I've said enough. And it's now. I've said enough. Okay. Good to know. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're going back over, you know, we've talked a little bit of, you know, probably my favorite moment in the show, and the more and more I think about it, is still the after Tyrion kills Tywin, and then he shows up, and Varys is, was helping him escape anyhow, and then they hear the, they hear the bells go off. And Varys just gives a look of like he looks at Tyrion, he looks at the bell, he, he looks at the bells, he clearly realizes what has happened, and then Varys just in an instant is like, "Well, all the plans I have are done. Onto the boat I go." <laughs> and he just gets on the boat, and it's just like instantaneous. It's like a quick he he does like the most Abe Simpson slash Homer going in the bushes <laughs> thing that I've ever seen in a real person. Of just like he merely looks, he's like, "Nope." And gets on the boat and is like, I guess we're moving up my plan of now that we know his like Daenerys type ambitions, which I don't think were still as clear as they were in the book, but like he still kind of made them, it make, you know, it changes a little bit, but like just that scene of just that look in that moment was amazing. Uh, and kind of a reminder of, you know, how Varys got done pretty dirty in the yeah, final I was gonna season. Say, I was going to say, this is all just reminding me of how like good and interesting Varys was until like mm-hmm. the last few episodes of the show. He, he, and, he and Tyrion had the... He kind of borrowed the Lannister brain cell for a bit, and then... Yeah, and then he, he lost it. So that, that made me sad. I mean, you know, I, I think there's some stuff Varys still did in the final season. Like, I guess my actual biggest story with Varys in the final season was less what he actually did. It was more that he just wasn't in it. Like, what he actually did, that stuff was mostly fine outside of the horrendously sexist speech. Yeah, that happened twice, though. That happened twice? In two separate episodes. But like, That's fully one-third of the season, my right. friend. Right, that's what I'm saying. He, But he was. But I'm saying part of it is that if, let's say, Varys was involved in... He was in four episodes. Let's say he was actually heavily involved in all four of them. Maybe it wouldn't have looked even as... It looked even worse when he's actually in, like, seven scenes the entire season, and two of them are... Right. You got a dick, right? Let's get this on... Yeah. Let's get you on the throne. The problem is that, like, Varys wasn't in the last season. A character wearing Varys's face was in the yeah. last season oh my god jacon halgar was there yeah <laughs> and so um <laughs> i mean Var- varus on the show always articulated a certain critique it, you know he, he was one of the answers to what makes a good king he was there to stand up and speak for like a good king is a king who uh you know cares about the the welfare of the people and i'm going to work to make sure that our king is that person um and so i think it's more that the plot like let him say that one more time and then thrust him out of the way well, it's also a well, problem but, with well, knowing what to do after Baelish, because one interpretation of the plot of Game of Thrones is that directly or indirectly, every conflict of Game of Thrones is Varys versus Baelish, and then almost every fight there is at least one, there is at least one, and usually both of them backing different sides, and the idea of Varys backing Danny and Sansa taking Baelish's mantle and then taking his, taking spinning his plates. But having those plates towards towards either herself or John would have been a version of the Game of Thrones, and part of that issue is it, with spinning him off is that the kind of Byzantine labyrinth, master of spies, master of favors, master of the politics, just wasn't in the last season, and so the interpretation of the entire show is this is this Xanatos game between Baelish and Varys breaks when Baelish dies and no one really becomes very Baelishy and then right because by the end Sansa and Varys totally agreed and then, that that, Dar- <laughs> that Danny was not to be trusted and then Varys yeah. just yes. you know can't stress enough 
how important penises are. That's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, Darius also said his his viewpoints, but they kind of like let him get lost in the weeds of how the reason John of penishood. Yeah, he could have. He basically could have argued. He could have art like if he wanted to mention it once as an aside of like they had an entire conversation and he's like, let's just be honest. He's also a man, which matters. And that's it. But like, it was like he did it. Tyrion's like he doubled down. That's though. ridiculous. <laughs> and then Don't he doubled down. Yeah. It's a it's a lesson to us all not to get bogged down in electability arguments. <laughs> it's true. It's just like, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like, it's if they had had like one moment of that, sure. But the fact that he then doubled down in the next episode is like, what the fuck yeah. are you? What are you trying to say about Varys now? All of a sudden. I mean, and quite frankly, if he hadn't, said, I I approved him saying it once, just because like for them not to say it all would kind of be sure, like, yeah. disingenuous to the show. Like, it was always lie. about the doubling down. Yeah. Thing. So, but, like, I just meant, like, you know, even the parts of, like, his last episode, in terms of, like, the stuff where, you know, it's clear he tried to poison her, at least it's like, well, you went down doing what you do best, Varys. But, yeah, in general, that was a really sadness of just, like, when you look at that moment and compare it to where Varys ended up, it, you know, it makes you very sad. I already said, like, you know, Hard Home, you know, Hard Home itself was, like, the first time, and, like, Hard Home basically becomes... Uh, both one of my most enjoyable moments and disappointing moments now because Hard Home when it happened was like the show seeming to finally accept what it had been had been background for so long because the thing I found so fascinating about Game of Thrones early on is this whole idea that you had this like background metaphor for climate change whatever you wanted to do of like fantasy coming towards this mundane politicking and Hard Home was like when the show was finally ready to be like alright so like the fantasy matters now mm-hmm. now realizing the fantasy never mattered then lessens that a little bit but, you know, that doesn't necessarily change the experience I had watching that episode, which was, like, I really enjoyed it. It was really tense. You know, the first time the Night King does his come at me bro pose is really awesome. When you realize it's the only thing he's ever going to do, less awesome. So, you know, it's a, it's a give or take. But the, yeah. the fantasy mattered because it eventually impacted the politics. I, I guess. Sure. <laughs> it sort of impacted the politics in ways. That's true. Um, they crowned the fantasy king. I mean... In all but, its ill-defined glory. I guess. If we want to say he's the fantasy king, I could make arguments that even if we're using the fantasy king argument, there's better choices than him. So I'm not even sure that's correct. Um, but, you know, that episode's still really good. We already talked about Winds of Winter, which I said I think is the best episode the show's ever done. Um, and, you know, gave us, you know, in addition to the set blowing up, you know, repla- gave us the new replacement for people jumping out the window meme. Yeah. And gifts, which was, you know, I thought it was never going to happen. So, you know, impressive game there. Uh, I mean, the, the season four finale is also really great. It's one of their best finales. Yeah, the season four finale is really good. Uh, and, you know, I agree like, with is, you. Is, season, is four. season four finale the um, the, the uh, Hound Brienne fight? Yeah, it's the Tywin Dies fight. It's Tywin Dies. Uh, I believe it's Hound Brienne, which yep. is to me the best fight the show's ever had. That's true. I think from a pure brutality perspective, well, I like the Hound versus, I mean, sorry, when I like the Mountain versus the Viper in terms of like, you know, what it meant and stuff, in terms of like fight choreography and like just pure visceral brutality, that fight is amazing. Uh, they beat the living hell out of each other. And <laughs> the part where like, you know, she bites his, she bites his ear and just like, it's just, and that, and that, that she wins, like all the stuff about this is like, really fully shows how much of a badass Brienne is. I can fully get there and it fits really well with the fact that, you know, 
of Arya just still being like, I'm good, just leaving, and all this stuff. Like, that fight's amazing. But yeah, the season four finale is really good, um, and I, I agree with you. I think season four is the best season of the show. Um, as for, uh, you know, so as for other, like, real disappointments, let's be honest, the real bitch I will always have is that, you know, the direwolves are awesome, and the show disagrees <laughs> with me. Uh. I, I, you know, I apparently we can, you know, we can show off dragons, which I must say is... For me to say this is weird because I love dragons. It's like one of my favorite like fantasy creatures in existence. And the fact that I'm like, but like the wolves is all <laughs> that needs to be said of like, you know, what the hell guys. Uh, why could... wolves weren't characters. They were ham-handed uh, symbols. But they were, they're supposed to represent, the wolves represent the Stark children <laughs> they're with. I, mm. If the wolves are ham-handed <laughs> symbols, then what do we call the horse in the uh, second to last episode? Seriously. <laughs> Let's not talk uh, about the A horse. red herring because it didn't actually mean or symbolize anything? Yeah, let's just not talk about the horse. I think they really thought it did, though. No, I think they thought it was a, it was the horse taking Arya away as her slate was wiped clean. I something. think somebody thought that horse was the most profound fucking thing they had ever done in TV. And, and also yeah. forgot that was a, the same horse actor from earlier. There's yeah. a lot of things. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's probably my biggest disappointment, um, you know, and in general, though, I'll say that, like, the show in general, anytime it was able to, the fact that the show perfected the art of the, their final episodes of seasons being fallen action for the most part, and even the finale at some level is this, is something I will, you know, with the exception of Winds of Winter, basically, is something I will always appreciate, because not enough shows are willing to, like, do something crazy in the penultimate episode, then actually take the time to explain what that means, and the final episode and actually set you up for the next season every game of thrones finale you know even season seven which i had problems with every finale set me up for going i'm really excited for game of thrones to come back mm -hmm. but not in a way of like in, in as opposed to when are you coming back what the fuck just happened why would you do this to me and said i was like that was a nice ride i know where we're going when you come back i'm gonna be really excited but you've left me in a good place and i wish more shows would approach it that way because too many shows there's this you know there's always this thing with finales there's like the good end and the bad end and the good end is when you hey you may have a cliffhanger but the cliffhangers are based on story and setup while the bad end is like you know john is hanging off a cliff will he die or will he not you're like of course he won't die this is <laughs> no one dies this way and it's just a waste of everyone's time and they make you like sit and wait for a while and so game of thrones will always get credit for basically doing that what's well, the that difference between is... suspense and anticipation yeah no totally and i think they were really good at always giving anticipation and that's kind of why i think it made the final season so disappointing was you know it turned against them when they were so good at anticipation when they couldn't actually deliver things to level we wanted it caused people to really rebel against it um before we move on from this point we'll just quickly say so caillou and i've kind of mentioned what our favorite seasons you know were of the show so just very quickly everyone kind of like you know say what you know you thought you're the best season of the show was or your favorite season and also you know your favorite episode if you don't remember the actual title you can say what happened in the episode and we can work with that from there um i i mean i think since since caillou already kind of recapped season four i'm inclined to agree with him that season four is is incredible pretty much wall to wall um it includes most of my like absolute favorite moments from the show, so I'm I'm going to agree with him on that one. About favorite episode? Um, whatever one has the fucking uh, trial in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know episode numbers or titles, but whichever one has the the trial scene. I think it was like the something like the seventh episode of that season. Yeah, something like that because it was like that episode. Then you had the you know, and then there's the, like the fight, and then there's like the yeah. you know all the Taiwan stuff. So like seven or eight, I think is what that would be. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I don't specifically remember as well. Sam, what about you? Um. So my favorite season is actually either five, but possibly six. Five is a bold claim. 
Sam? Oh, so you said plane. Oh, no. no I, said, he... I said five is a bold claim because I did not expect someone to say season five, which is generally universally considered one of like the worst so, seasons of the show. So here's the thing. In late five and early six is when the show diverges from the books very heavily and says... We are going to have showtime, and we're not going to worry about how long it takes people from to get from point A to point B, which allows for a lot of things that in the books we've never fucking gotten. And part of why is because Martin is too fucking caught up in the land speed of a horse. And what the and while they took that way too far in season seven and like and eight off the fucking deep end, five and six are like late five, early six that are, are the are the part where I'm like, oh, here here's us willing to diverge from the books for a better narrative in terms of episodes wait wait real quick uh the argument for season five being the best season is it's the one the brand's not in that, yeah. that, that's, i mean that's also an argument the other uh, argument is just flat out that hard homes like hard homes in that season which is a really great episode and the end of five <laughs> is really good it's just five is somewhat even as they try to figure out how to yeah. go beyond the yeah. confines of the books yeah um, and then to me, um, my favorite episode is a toss-up between Long Night and Battle of the Bastards. I think that, um, well, and Night of the Seven Kingdoms. So Night of the Seven Kingdoms is, is stunning, and mm-hmm. is, it's hard to call that an episode. That's a conclusion to years of plot lines. Uh, um, Long Night is, fuck you, calibrate your goddamn TVs. And it's amazing if you've done that. And Battle of the Bastards is kind of like, you know... A long night light, except you can watch it on a TV that hasn't been calibrated and understand what's going on. <laughs> Alright, that's fair. Uh, Kai, what about you? Um, as I said, I think season four is the best. Um, in terms of episodes, uh, I'm not sure if I can pick one episode. Because a lot of times you're like, oh, the one with the trial. But like, I don't remember what the hell else happened in that episode besides the trial. So like, that sequence is great. Um, I think that uh, I think the Night of Seven Kingdoms is a great episode, as Sam said, because it pays off all these things. Um, I think that the the murder of King Joffrey is great. Um, I think the Red Weapon Red Wedding is great, and we haven't actually talked about that in this episode. But that moment was so huge and so like culturally significant, even beyond the the the, the interior of the show. Um, that I think that deserves to be remembered. That was definitely the moment the show shifted from a as we know Game of Thrones now, like you have to watch it. That was like I remember before that point I'd be like oh I'll watch like the next day and then that was like the moment when I realized oh no I have to just watch this immediately <laughs> there is no waiting it's like this is the moment Sam has talked about hating for so long about the show of being forced to watch it uh, that was basically it yeah, so that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, those are all solid. Those are all solid episodes. I mean, like I said, it'd be hard. That I have a hard time sometimes as well with the oh, this specific like what else happened in the episode. That's kind of why I know I like like Hard Home and Winds of Winter so much because I do remember like point by point things that happened in episodes. The battles are easier for that reason too. I think why people like them is because you know the battle happened. It's like what else? No, no, the battle happened. Well, that's what the, yeah, that, Blackwater. That's, that's what happened. Like I'm trying to remember what some of my fa- like some of my very favorite moments have been, and I was just looking. It's like what episode did that? happen in and i'm looking at the summary for the episode I'm like holy shit so much is going on in this fucking episode yeah. from once from one random one in season three i mean that's to the benefit of why it was so noticeable and the, the writing changed so much near the end is like those early episodes were so dense you know whether it's because you know they had martin to help get them through it or just because you know they were good at writing a lot of specifics of this stuff they can't just take that away from them even if martin Martin didn't literally write the scripts and hand them to them, so like they clearly could do it. Did you see the graph of words per minute? Yes. In the yes. Yeah. In the like literal perfect downward trend from the beginning <laughs> of the show to the end. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So 
so like I was so I'm gonna agree with the season four. I'm gonna go a little bit earlier for season three too, be, just because the red wedding is also like one of those really key moments. Um, but as I was saying, one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite moments of all time, has been the scene in the baths at Harren Hall, which is an episode in season three, mid- midway through uh, season three, episode five, "Kissed by Fire." In this episode, um, you've got it's when you're first talking with you're first hanging out with Tormund. Jon Snow has sex in a cave. Um, <laughs> that is true. Jon Snow having sex in a cave and uh, getting to turn the. I believe it was called cave. I believe I believe the preferred term is cave sex. Jon Snow sex. had sex, sex in, in a cave, cave. Yeah, but, with a box of scraps. But also, you know, that's you know when he was able to turn cave sex the, plus t- when he's able to turn Egret's uh, catchphrase on its head. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's the same episode. It's the same episode you meet Grey Worm for the first time. It's the first time that Jorah and Barrison are like, hey, Jorah, you know, he's kind of a spy for King Robert. Did you know that, Daenerys? And it's like, oh. This is all in one episode. Oh, you get the the Lannisters are killed by the Karstarks, the, those two Lannister cousins. So Rob kills a Karstark. Which sets the foundation for, like, obviously the end point of, like, you know, once he goes through with his duty too much, the Red Wedding test stuff. But even more importantly, the future season. Seasons where like the Car Starks and the Umbers continue to be shitheads and like yeah. remember this moments keep going forward. But then, but then, yeah. So that says all one episode, people. <laughs> then, then it's the Harren Hall baths, which is just so good, man, so good. Yeah, it's a great scene. Um, so you get to see and you get some history pre-show. You get some world building, like you get some really good shit there. And then there's also Thor, the whole Brotherhood without banners. They're yeah. around. Like, it's it's just a really good part of the show. Yeah, that's true. If you look back, one of the big things about the early seasons is you would just find random episodes. And if we, like, went and just picked one at random, we'd probably be like, oh my gosh, all this stuff happened in that episode. That would oh, Shireen. Shireen starts teaching Sir Davos how to read. Uh, oh, Shireen. Yeah. Pure Shireen. Poor Shireen. Um, so, that's the thing. Like, that's... But, also, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Just for... Yeah. Everything around that episode, and specifically the nighting scene. Well, yeah, and that episode was just so diff- It's the episode we wanted for so long from the show, so mm-hmm. they finally gave it to us. Caillou did mention, I feel like we have to also mention, he briefly said Blackwater, which I do think has to be said, because that was like Blackwater was the first, like... The first yeah. of the huge battle ones. Yeah. Because the only wa- battle prior to that, Tyrion was, got knocked out in. Yeah, yeah it was like when the, the show was the First one that they, that they paid for battle in yes. money. Yes. <laughs> And that's also um, the culmination of uh, one of the other great runs of the show, which is Tyrion as Hand of King's Landing yeah. and like winning the game and being awesome at it. Like that's such a great run of them. Yeah. Run. Plus, which, which which episode does Tormund talk about fucking a bear in? Because that's because that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series when Tormund talks about how he fucked a bear. Uh, it's in four. It's late four because he's talking to. Hold on, uh, I'll look it up. It's, he's talking to Rose, and, and she's like, you know, you. I don't want to hear about how you didn't fuck a bear because I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. No, I mean that's that's a you know that is a great scene. The Tyrion one you're talking about, Kai, also was like the emergence of like the true emergence of Podrick as an actual character. Oh, because like that's the like you know he was around, but like that's when you realized he was gonna yeah. like do things because he like saves Tyrion from dying. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you know so that was all that was also real cool. And you know begins one of the only actual like Podrick is like actually has an interesting arc in the show. Uh, he's one of the little people who does not yeah. interested in all that except and he just kind knife. of goes along and he's like a good person and he doesn't get punished for it and it's like one of the least cynical mm-hmm. things the show does and it's just kind of a nice follow through for the entire I mean there, there are a lot of people in the show who, who don't change and just kind of continue to fulfill their function and be 
virtuous in the fulfillment of that function and end up uh, with a, a better situation than when they started simply by the fact that other characters have recognized that fact. Um, and so, you know, Davos is, uh, you know, uh, loyalty and, uh, and, and Podrick's, uh, uh, you know, willingness to work and, you know, all these, all these characters who kind of end up in the small council room at the end, uh, uh, are kind of I- exhibits of that. Uh, even Braun, who I guess exhibits the show virtue of, like, ruthlessness. Yeah, I'll go with that. That's true. Um, okay, so we've kind of talked about, you know, just show in general, so we'll kind of briefly go towards just the, uh, we can't really talk about, not, sorry, let's kind of briefly go to the fact that we can't really not talk about, like, just the phenomenon that Game of Thrones became. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so much about Game of Thrones is the fact that it became Game of Thrones. So other than, obviously, the meme legacy, which we've already mentioned, uh, you know, what do you think the legacy of this show will ultimately be? You know, whether that is just, you know, if you want to go really gritty with just how it ranks in the all-times of shows, period, you certainly can. If you just want to talk in general about how people are going to remember the show as a whole, whatever, just kind of like, what kind of legacy do you think the show will ultimately, will ultimately have, you know, going forward if we look back in it 10 years from now? I'll start on this one. Um... The first thing I think is that there is kind of, in an era of peak TV, in an era of kind of disconnections, and especially in 10 years, we're going to be, if things trend the way they are, an even shittier divergence of platforms. Because it's important to remember, like HBO, HBO Go became a a buy-it-as-you-are option during this show's run. So you could get this with a cable subscription, which meant that... In, in, in part because in the early seasons, you could only get them on iTunes or by subscribing to HBO on cable, and thus they were pirated to shit. Yeah. The first thing I'll say about this one is... is, is the, first, the first thing about the legacy of this show is that as a source of memes, the cultural t- touchstone, part of the Simpsons' memeability is that everyone knows about the Simpsons. There, you know, as everyone, you're going. If you make a reference to there's a real red wedding moment coming up, that that reference is going to mean something in popular culture because collectively, anyone who talks about, reads, or deals with popular culture has dealt with this show. And I, we are having fewer and fewer of those TV shows. We, our movies are moving more and more towards a Disney, Star Wars, MCU kind of monoculture. But our TV is moving actually away from that. So the first thing with the legacy of this show is that any show that gets to be on, on the King of the Hill for a couple of years earns itself there. Because also from my perspective, when I think about this compared to Westworld or Breaking Bad or some other, the critics loved this show, but people weren't fucking watching it. Like, people are, were watching this show. This show was exploding on Twitter in a, way that breaking, in a way that Breaking Bad was, but a lot of the other kind of big critical acclaim shows the past few years haven't been. And that's kind of my big hop at the legacy thing, is that I think that we're, we are hitting an interesting place where the streaming services are fragmenting and more and more people are getting better, like me, of, like, diving into our own subcultures with, you know, behind the algorithm and behind our own private streaming services services and like I only come up for air and kind of interface with media with people like you in shows like this and I have no idea when's the next show that's going to come on that I'm going to be able to have a conversation with 
with anyone not in my little sub corner of Discord slash Reddit. Yeah, I will. I will say that yeah, the the water cooler aspect of the show is obviously a big part of it. And with the fragmentation of media, I really well, I don't literally think nothing else will be like Game of Thrones again in terms of stuff because it always at some level happens. I do think this degree we may have hit a point of uh, no return on. I just think things are a little bit too fragmented. I think more importantly, when you look at the metrics of popularity for that exists now, Game of Thrones is such an aberration compared to everything else on television. Nothing comes even close to the disc, you know, the discourse that happens, you know, with Game of Thrones almost all the time when it's actually on the air. You know, things like Twitter, everything trends, and even the things that are trending are just the misspellings of what they yeah. wanted to spell. You know, that, you know, it, I, I have a hard time believing that something will ever hit this height uh, again. I mean, I'm sure it's probably possible because it always is. But, like, I do think with the fragmentation, uh, it's going to be a while. And I think you're going to continue to see for a while this this was just an aberration that stands out. And, you know, you may have things that momentarily kind of simulate it. You know, Stranger Things will come on when its new season comes for a very brief amount of time. It'll be pretty, it'll be talked about and then it'll be gone, like, a week later. And people will move on to talk about other things. Maybe two if you're lucky. You know, Game of Thrones kept the cycle going for a long time, whereas most shows now get, you know, if they're if they're on week to week, they get to stay on for a bit. But if they're binge, they get maybe two weeks tops of even just like being talked about, not even like by everyone, but like by enough people where like, you know, they trend once on Twitter. I mean, there's, there's one aspect of this. I, I'm not sure when, if ever, will be the same in that, like, even Endgame. I have friends who didn't like, who don't care about Marvel. Um, but during this season of Game of Thrones specifically, uh, you know, we watched the episode on Sunday. We podcasted Tuesday. Uh, but before the next episode, uh, I talked to every single person in my life about the same thing because no one listens to my podcast. <laughs> uh, and, um, every single person in my life is watching Game of Thrones and, you know, my mother who didn't watch Game of Thrones tuned in for this last season. Like, uh, uh, everybody was ex- felt like they were experiencing this thing and that conversation was just ongoing like the whole time. Uh, with everybody um and like that's you know that that impact cannot be overstated yeah and like even with the way the show ended i like wouldn't i would like to trade some of these parts of it but i wouldn't trade in general most of the experience of just like yeah being this involved like you said talking to everyone about it it was this kind of thing that just you know likely will not happen in the same way again and i appreciate that and will respect that like for like the rest of my life probably well yeah i will say it's it's also briefly i think this is specific to us as the people who are in this podcast and the current listeners, I think that people 10 years younger than us are going to have a different experience. Like, uh, my father did not watch Game of Thrones, and I talked with him briefly about it, and, like, some of this gets in, you know, I think David's right, uh, for the rest of my life, we are at the prime media-watching, media-discussing age. We are online, but not quite, quote-unquote, extremely online, and so it's possible for us to end up in this. I consume less media every year than I did the year before and have for the past 10 years at this point almost. And so people like me, like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be in the next show that you all experience this way because that's just how my life is drifting. And I definitely think it's important to recognize that, like, this is going to be one of the media, like, you know, when you have a media touchstone like this, Outside of the people who literally die in between shows, there's there's people like me who drift into obscure corners of the internet or into, like, non-media uses of my time, and, like, I'm not sure I'm coming back. Yeah, I I don't think that this is going to happen again with a show to the level that Game of Thrones did, like you said, Um, because that level is so absurd that, like... 
I think of it as, like, there's, like, two tiers. There's, like, the tier where lots of shows this kind of happens with, which is, like, everything you see a lot on the floor at Comic-Con. And that's all on, like, a smaller scale. And then there's, like, this giant brick wall, and, like, only Game of Thrones gets to smash through that and be, like, literally everyone talks about it. Um, But there are lots of shows where it's a similar thing that a lot of people that I talk to certainly uh, talk week to week about. I mean, I even think about, like, for example, The Good Place. A surprising number of people in my life, anyway, actually watch The Good Place week to week when it's on and talk about it every week. That's not nearly on the level of Game of Thrones. Um, but it it's replicating a similar feeling, at least, in that at least it's not a binge show where, like, you watch it all at once. Uh, there's definitely at least an element of people saying, hey, did you watch this week's Good Place kind of thing. Um, I mean, to, to, to build on that, in my corners of the internet, I get those questions about JoJo's and Attack on Titan. Yeah, I sure, anime too. Lo- yeah. I'm extremely online. I'm into lots of anime, but you know the. But if I ask anyone in this podcast about this week's JoJo's or this week's Attack on Titan, how many of you are caught up with this week's Attack on Titan? I mean, I'm not caught up, but Attack on that's Attack on Titan's fault, not mine. Well, this is this is you know so so Matt yeah, yeah. Matt, you're like uh, look, you know a, a, a good place is a week to week show, not a bit show. I binge the good place. I bi- I wait until the season's over, and then I binge the season all at once because I enjoy it more that way. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is not a show you could do that with. Here is Sam's chance to rant that rant one last time. Uh, I've said it multiple times in person <laughs> on the podcast. I prefer this show um, in a binge. The internet collectively decided that I must either cure myself of an internet addiction and not be the internet for months, or I must watch Game of Thrones week to week. I made my choice. I'm not sure I made the right one, but I made my choice. And they're very, like, I am successfully able to, even in my corners of the internet, spoiler-free myself away from Attack on Titan from, like, the biggest mainstreamiest anime shows, from the biggest, you know, I'm from uh, Good Omens, from whatever is the big hotness right now. I've never seen The Good Place, and you fuckers haven't spoiled me yet, at least. I was not able to do that with Game of Thrones. I watched this show season by season until season four, and only in season five and on did I watch this show week to week. Well, right. you also had read the books, which helps a little bit. But that's, yeah. It's hard for you to get spoiled in some ways. But again, this is my point in saying Agreed. these shows aren't on the level of Game of Thrones. It's just like... Agreed. Um, but I, I do think... I will be the devil's advocate, I guess, and say that I do think some shows are actually kind of fun to watch week to week. Yeah. I, I acknowledge you guys don't believe in this this uh, theory, but I actually kind of do. Um, there, there are some that, shows that's, that's true of, but I, I just... Well, only some. I think it depends on what you value on... The reason I think there's some shows that are worth watching week to week is I value the experience of being able to analyze a show, an episode one at a time and talk to people about it more so than the binge model of all shows. There's some shows, and there's certainly a ton of shows I'm fine with benching, and I've been tons of things, and I watched in a lot of different ways, but I certainly don't mind. I enjoyed the fact that this show made it really hard to do that, and if you did decide to binge it most of the once, you were Caillou, who slowly went crazy before the start of the season. I actually find binging to be like really tiresome um, because I don't have the time to binge shows. Uh, I find it much easier to block off smaller chunks of time every week where I can watch this week's episode. I mean, I wasn't saying that every show should be binged. I, you know, like there are shows I prefer to watch week to week. The reason I haven't finished uh, Kaguya-sama is that uh, when I try to watch it in, in a binge, I can't get through it, but I enjoy it episode by episode. Um, I, my, my point more was like, with other shows, I have the decision, the choice of, do I want to watch, like JoJo's I can't binge. I watched a few, a few episodes at a time. 
for Game of Thrones, I didn't feel like I had the choice. I felt like the choice was made for me by the internet, and there are, and I don't feel that way about anything else in my life. And that's what I was and that's why I was agreeing with Matt that like this is a big deal and kind of an unusual deal because everything else in my life, I make that choice either way and I can do it. With Game of Thrones, the choice was kind of made for me. That's fair, and I think it's also worth saying that as bringing this up, there's a good chance that the binge model is the one that's slowly winning, and it's yeah, harder I, and harder for these shows to actually not do that. And eventually, there's a good chance the show that could be the next Game of Thrones might actually be released all at once which thus prevents it from being the next Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. I, I think binging is winning the war. Yeah. Saren, do you have any big picture things you want to just quickly add? Nah, not really. I think I said my piece. It's fair. Caillou, I think you had one more thing you wanted to say. Yeah, in, t- in terms of legacy, um, I just want to bring up kind of the critical legacy of the show since we've talked about kind of the cultural legacy of it and, and earlier kind of the narrative legacy of it. But I think, like, critically, had Game of Thrones stuck the landing, I think it easily would have been, like, a top five show for a lot of critics and a lot of people. Um, and I think that the, the problems with the ending and the way they kind of reverberate back through some of the show... Uh, definitely downgrades that. And I think that the show, you know, uh, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, uh, it's no Hannibal, <laughs> you know? Um, it's it's a show that has a lot of greatness in it, but has a lot of flaws to it. And, um, and you know, definitely taking as an overall work of art kind of flubs some of the things it was trying to do. Um, and so, like, I definitely think it's going to be on the list of, like, for... for spectacle alone and, and for the, the high points alone it's going to be in that list you know it's going to be in that top 100 somewhere um but i i no longer think it, it really can maintain its place in like the list of like the top 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 shows of all time up there with like you know the wire and the sopranos and, and hannibal and so on yeah no I, I agree with that i mean even even now it's only been so many weeks and even now i find myself not really thinking about game of thrones anymore yeah you know if the show if the show had truly been among the top, top echelons of shows, it would be the kind of thing that lingered with me a long time. Instead, I'm kind of, I, like, I've moved on with my life past Game of Thrones at this point. Yeah. I read the fanfic and that's it, because I want to forget about the ending. <laughs> I just, like, I mean, you know, it was great, and I acknowledge all the things that are significant about it, but the the fact that they flubbed the ending, as you said, has turned it from, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life, to, like... I'll remember this when someone talks about it and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember Game of Thrones, but I'm like not going to like rewatch. I'm not going to do like a rewatch of this probably for a long time, if ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of thing. So I, 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 you know, I will say that, as you said, the when you kind of credit, the highs of the show were like some of the highest peaks of, yeah. of television. So I definitely will kind of, you know, remember that part. But yeah, the lows of the show were some of like the lowest lows I can think right. of and that's not great, and it's definitely mm-hmm. going to complicate its legacy yeah. and make it where, you know, like you said, top top five is probably elusive, top 30, top 50, that's probably roughly where it will land, and it's still pretty reasonable, and, you know, and that's accounting for the fact that I think one of the big things, though, in addition to you saying, like, you know, it not sticking landing made you forget about it, it kind of reinforces why that some shows have had trouble building upon what they've done is because in general, when things are over, like it's hard for you to keep thinking about them. And when the show's actually over, you don't have anything more to look forward to and you kind of have your your, your time and uh, you move on. And I think the, the kind of version of that has been why a lot of binge shows haven't been able to catch on is you right. binge everything, you think about it for like three days and then you move on. And yeah, so- it's just, to, to borrow Caillou mentioning like The Wire, for example, like you can go back and rewatch The Wire a lot of times and it's still like mm-hmm. The Wire. 
I just like I, I just I don't see myself going back and be like I'm gonna rewatch Game of Thrones at this point just because yeah the, just the way it, the way it ended up especially know? when you take away the cultural aspects of it now that those are removed you right have to watch it on its own and now it's it just to... purely has to stand on its own yeah. instead of being like the appointment viewing the phom- of the week phenomenon yeah to me the most frustrating part of this is how much I love the fucking board game and the chances I'll ever get to play that fucking game again are super low now <laughs> yes that's that's the true tragedy of all the stuff they messed up just the board game okay uh so i think that's enough of talking about game of thrones and since we've talked about just very briefly the idea of what's beyond that uh is there any shows you think of that you've seen that obviously won't be the next literal game of thrones but you think could occupy some version of this space could be something to look forward to uh or you know if saran you wish to once again pitch the show you think would be this you certainly can but just like anything very quickly we want to go over of just something you want to mention uh and just to get out of the way i assume none of us agree with amazon that it's lord of the rings even though amazon gave them a billion dollars to insist it would be (laughs) yeah i i don't watch enough tv to to like meaningfully answer this i think uh i i only watch like a couple of shows so i'm probably not the best to answer this uh but yeah i'm i'm sure if (laughs) i mean that's i don't know i don't know how to predict if any show could ever do this again so it's kind of you know, like the one before it was probably lost, right? But I mean, it wasn't um, even close to the same degree. I no, but, but like it had a lot of. It's probably the one that came before Thrones, I guess, closest. Maybe spectacle-wise, it's possible. in terms of like people talking about it and whatever. But I mean, um, Walking Dead for a brief period when it first came out before uh-huh. it kind of everyone yeah was the same yeah show. Walking Dead. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it's it's gonna be. I feel like it's gonna be something nerdy because nerdy is cool now, um, and the the like Comic Con cool factor is not something that anyone can discredit at this point. Um, it's gonna be something that you know crossover t t shirts get made of. You know where like Rick and Morty are dressed as characters from it or whatever. So whatever that thing is, that nebulous thing, that'll be the next thing. I just don't know what it is. I think it will also be something short because I think the big thing about Game of Thrones, <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty confident about, it, is even if something achieves it over achieves something like this for a little bit, I have a real question if something can achieve it through like the 10 years Game of Thrones was around basically. Yeah. The eight, actual eight seasons and then the actual years of people being able to talk about it and things like mm-hmm. that. I have some very like, you know, I, I have questions that that part can actually be achieved again. I think if like, I think if like Stranger Things had been a bit better and had been week to week instead of bingeable, it might have yeah, had a similar thing to what Thrones had. But because Stranger Things is a binge show where everyone kind of blasted through and then it was over, it didn't, I feel like it doesn't have that. Yeah, I think I think if there was going to be one, a Stranger Things like show that was on like Amazon, since Amazon does air things week to week, yeah, I mean, might get closer to it. If Netflix is the one that would make the most sense, if like Netflix ever decided to rent one show, which they'll never do. That did this, it's possible because everyone has Netflix. But the closest thing we had basically is Amazon. Or a Disney Plus property. A Disney Plus property, maybe. I, I just wonder if Disney's Disney has its own baggage at this point that may prevent the truly... True. And also Disney stuff may require it to be like, it's a Marvel thing. So, I mean, if, I think that if matters. If Disney Plus had launched three years ago, I think there's a real chance. I, I think that Disney, I think that any Disney Plus property is unlikely simply because too many people are going the, this is one streaming service too far, I'm not doing this again. And They weren't until um, so they realized it was cheap. Yeah, um, and and that works until they have kids. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, I think I think these like these these splintering of streaming services also hurts the potential for some yeah. shows to be mm-hmm. these versions of shows. Like I could, 
given how hot he is right now as a creator, I could have seen theoretically the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone being a thing that like people talked about just because Jordan Peele is like a big name. But, but like nobody access. fucking has right. CBS All Access, so nobody's watching it and no one's talking about so, it. So so, yeah. I mean, you know? so 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 like Lovecraft County, for example. I've read the book. It's being adapted for HBO. It by Jordan Peele. It's gonna be amazing. Um, but like it, I I think that it's going to like if you want something that is that gives that gives you the experience of quality that you saw watching Game of Thrones. I find that every four months in one of my various subcultures um if you want something that people stand as hard as they stand this go into your subculture hard enough you know i deal with fate fanboys logue uh legend of, 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 of the heroes jojos etc but if we're if we're talking to like i can wear this t-shirt in a bar and have a conversation with a random bar person about this and I have not walked into a very specific nerd bar on their very specific theme nerd night, I got fucking nothing. Um, right. I, I think the splintering is going to kill us on this because I think that the a lot of the, the, the people who own these platforms are throwing money at good creators and they're gonna monkeys with the dartboard hit some good uh, 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 hit, hit some fucking you know great works but like I, I'm reminded of uh, Manhattan the show about the Manhattan project did that air on Freeform David or, no, or, or which it aired on WGN America WGN yeah so uh, you know it's an absolutely amazing drama about the Manhattan project which I think like five people have seen because it was on a network that was, that was like a cable network that was known for like rebroadcasting shit. My legitimate guess is that fewer people watched that show than worked on the Manhattan Project. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that Manhattan was never going to be that show no matter how yeah, but, 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 yeah, but, but, but well, Manhattan is, Manhattan is a great show. You should watch it. But my point is like, if you, if, if you, if, if the if a small enough network you know pawns everything and manages to, 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 to make the next Game of Thrones... It took HBO years to get enough, you know, market penetration to be able to do this. You know, these if, if, if Game of Thrones had premiered on WGN, would we all have become like WGN fans, or would Game of Thrones have like meandered with a small cult following? I think yeah. it would have actually, because here's the thing: what we are forgetting is that it is it was HBO. Like, mm-hmm. who among us owned HBO back when this show started? We were all using HBO? it to. Who we it had a market share. It had the people for it had the people who were watching who had watched like Deadwood and Carnival and Sopranos. all those. Sopranos, Sopranos is the most important one. And I the think wire. the big thing is yeah. you need. I think you need foundation. So I think Game of Thrones could not have happened to this degree if Sopranos hadn't already done. It never quite hit the Game of Thrones. Viewership wise, it actually did hit the same thing Game I of mean, Thrones did, but it never was able to hit the same cultural stuff. But like you need a show like that to already get you there to prime you for. I do think that I do think the market splitting. Is less of an issue than you're all making it out to be because I do think it. I agree. You need a base, but if something is good enough that you get enough people to start talking about it, they will start pirating it, <laughs> and they will, and it follows from there. No, that's true. I mean, I mean that pl- could work. Platform, but- platform matters. This is what happened with Breaking Bad, where like not a lot of people were watching Breaking Bad until the old episodes went to Netflix. Everyone binged to catch up with Breaking Bad, and then the last season or two was a monster audience share. Like, platform matters. Um, this is why I think that the what I'm taking from all this is that no one knows what the next Game of Thrones is going to be, but I can tell you where it's going to be. It's going to be on HBO. 
because HBO is the only place that does week-to-week stuff uh, that has the platform ready for people, um, that has the people watching Game of Thrones, still watching Chernobyl, whatever. Um, and that they're the only network that has both the money and the will to make these massive bets like it did on Game of Thrones. Amazon has the money, but not the will, because they're making a massive bet on fucking Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Uh, you and, know, and I don't time. know if it's Hulu going to be... Is, Hulu's no longer a platform. Hulu's wholly owned now, and Hulu's dead, essentially. Right. Um, so, so like, the, 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 the television answer to this is it's going to be HBO. I don't know if it's going to be Watchmen or His Dark Materials or whatever they come, with, come up with County. after that. I would say... Uh, or Lovecraft I, County or whatever. But, um, and then the other side there, of this is that um, uh, the next Game of Thrones is already... You know, it's Star Wars, it's MCU. The, the mass cult has moved to movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the only other one that would be is, like they said, Disney Plus potentially could just because uh, they have the build-up and if Disney decided to just very specifically yeah. target a type of show, they could probably pull it off. But, you know, Sarian was saying his Dark Material, I think, has a good chance of, yeah. of, of getting a decent market share. And, you know, I think there's certain shows that are going to exist in small pockets that will at least do well on some levels, like Good Omens, mm-hmm. which it's I think... It's just what pops through. Yeah, it's just, you know, how long. Maybe if Good Omens popped as much as Game of Thrones popped. Let's just say hypothetically. It's done. It's already done. done. That's what I'm saying. It's done. It's already (laughs) done. So that's kind of the thing of like the the longevity I think ultimately is going to unexpectedly be one of the bigger legacies of the show of just dominating the market share for this long I think is the one thing I have questions about. Someone actually dominating it period I think will probably happen again because that just always happens. Um, Okay. So uh, I think we've you know Finally, our long, long watch of Game of Thrones is done. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now our watch is ended. Yeah, our watch ta- is ended. We've talked about quite a bit about this, and I think we can finally move on after this uh, long amount of everything. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's it for the podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can find our other thoughts on pop culture on our blog at www.insidethekraken.com. You can also hear more news and notes from us on our Facebook page called We Have Always Lived in the Kraken, as well as follow us on Twitter and Instagram at inside the Kraken. In addition to the blog, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, where if you wish to support us, you can rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can also follow Caillou's thoughts at... Uh, at Ostereth, A-S-T-A-E-R-E-T-H. Uh, today I pitched shows on Twitter for HBO to plug the gaps in their alphabetized list, uh, so go check that out. Fair enough. And if you want to hear some cool stuff about uh, video games and uh, dogs, you can follow Matt on Twitter at... Momrath, M-O-M-E-R-A-T-H-H. And if you want to do some cool things in Austin, Sam can help you. Uh, meetup.com slash anime-501 is the Austin Anime Meetup. Uh, we do some sweet stuff. I'm also on Instagram, uh, at Baron underscore Vaughn, V-O-N underscore Waifu. Uh, there's pictures of anime figures and uh, arcade machine restoration. All right, cool. So, um, once again, that's it for the podcast. We have to go now. Uh, the Kraken has been crying for some quite some time because uh, he really wanted Edmure to be king. And uh, we've been trying to tell him that's terrible, but it just hasn't worked yet. So, uh, we've just kind of given up and uh, moving on with our lives, just like we are from this show. <laughs> Game of Thrones is back. I hope nobody gets raped or murdered. Game of Thrones is back. Game of Thrones is back. If you guys don't do a really good episode tonight, I am done with these Game of Thrones podcasts. <laughs> are you gonna give us? Are you gonna give us one more podcast and you're done? Yeah, yeah. one more. One more. I'm giving it one more. Are we actually doing that that, that master plan where we start doing a Game of Thrones books podcast like in two weeks? <laughs> Uh, we can do the David listens to Game of Thrones by audiobook because he's given up the idea he's going to read them. <laughs>
I'll do a Game of Thrones book podcast when he finishes the goddamn books. Yeah. Well, yeah, I assume yeah. Don't be dead, not before. That's not before. happening, and you know it. Then it's not happening. I can do a Game of Thrones fan fiction podcast. It's an it's a p- entire podcast of better endings. There's a plane. Well, we aren't starting yet anyway. We haven't so started. It's, it's alright. Hey. Saren's like, this is gold. Guys gotta hold on. <laughs> yeah, save you. it. Save, save it. it. So Brett Ratner is to filmmaking what Barney Gumble is to Alcoholics in Moe's Bar. He's so bad that everyone else is good by comparison. <laughs> Whatever, I just want I just want my Nicolaj Costa-Waldo and Gwendolyn Christie rom-com. rom-com. That's all yeah. I want. Rom-com. It's true. And then I want uh, the actor who plays Tormund to be their neighbor. <laughs> oh, that, guy, that guy's sweet. On that, camera. That was method acting. <laughs> just like, oh. John, John Snow knows nothing and neither does Kit Harrington. Playing Burbank's like, we're coming for you. <laughs> we're here and we're planes. There's like a slight plane. It's a mini plane. It's a slight plane. Welcome to Life in the Fucking Kraken. Uh, the uh, um, the Kraken's dead, the dragons are dead, everything is shit. Let's talk about all of Game of Thrones. This week in Westeros, we have one of the greatest novel series ever written, which turned into one of the crowning achievements of television, and then just shat the bed in the last season, managing to unite fans against it, and driving one of the lead actors into rehab. Well, Game of Thrones was certainly a show. Some people say it was good, some people say it was bad, but we're out of time now, so uh, the end of the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. This has been a great episode, (laughs) just want to say. For full attribution and licensing information about the music and sound in our intro and outro, please check the blog.